Welcome to episode 541 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, our team, welcome along to episode 541 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Iles. How you going, mate? I'm good. I'm on time as always. We're ready to go. <laughs> Shockingly late. <laughs> so first of all, he goes to me. I'm, I did the interview today. We've got, we've got Matt Fitzgerald on. I'm pretty excited. It was a pretty good interview, actually. But he said, you know, can you, can you do the interviews because I want to go to the swim club? And, you know, fair enough. You know, summertime, he's not studying. I'm work around. That's how you roll. And then he texted me and said, oh, I might be 15 minutes late. So, sweet. What time did you arrive? Oh, 8.40-ish. <laughs> 8.43. <laughs> hey, oh, someone was watching. <laughs> 23 seconds. <laughs> Not that I was counting. Shut up, up, John Newsom. Anyway, I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And a few of those are... Connor Sensational Sanders. We've got Adam Crazy Leg Fox. Angus the Wild Bull, Bull Boyd. Nice. Luke the Engine. Has he not got, got a last name? No, he does not. He's just Luke. Oh, hey, yeah. hey, he's so cool he doesn't need a last name. And I'm not sure what we've done this last one. Alan Hodgson, the Ferris Ferret. Is it Ferris or Ferocious? It could be Ferocious. It's got to be could Ferocious. Have been, yeah, I think that could have been a... Uh, what does Ferris mean? A Google. It's, yeah, it's a, I think this is a Google correct. Oh, uh, okay. Yep, Ferris. Ferocious, I reckon. Ferocious. Even if it is ferocious, Alan, we're changing it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, this week's show, it's been a, it's been changed because John's so late. So we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got no coaches corner, but we've got a great interview with Max Fitzgerald. Uh, and basically, he's talking about his new book that's coming out in late December. We're opening that nutrition can of worms again. Yes, we are. And... Uh, it was interesting, actually. Well, we'll talk about it later on. Uh, my first try, and then we've got questions and answers at the end. Okay, guys. Well, big weekend. Yeah, everyone's getting ready for John's rant. But I think before we get into your rant, because it, it, it's a it's an important topic that needs to be talked about. We need, do need to talk about this performance. Oh, absolutely. Like, so, because we don't want it to take away from Lionel Sanders, because what he did there was a phenomenal, sensational. And that's I don't want to be that negative podcast or negative guy that's complaining about everything but there's some things that really rip my undies and uh, we'll get on to that in <laughs> so we're going to rip his undies in two minutes but before we do let's talk about the race because Lionel Sanders and, and John Levinson from Try 247 actually sent, sent through a bit of a thing just saying how this is the third fastest time of all time um, and kind of made a couple of other points but just saying the swim only yep. four minutes down on like the likes of Pete Jacobs and stuff. So, uh, sure, he's still behind the swim, mm. but that's definitely his best swim so far, isn't yeah. it? So, Lionel swam at Sanders swam 53.45. He rode 4.04, which is sensational. Wow. And then ran a 2.42.31 uh, for a 7.44.29, which is 27 minutes quicker than expected. <laughs> and uh, a new course record, which is fantastic. On a fast course. On a fast course. But I will give this, I haven't actually seen, I had a couple of athletes racing, I haven't actually seen the their files yet, but when I look back to last year, it's accurate. You know, in terms, it's a 180k ride, and it's a 42. Oh, as in distances? In terms of distances. And that's one of the, the gripes other people hey, have about some the of rant, these courses. Hold the rant. <laughs> I'm holding the rant. But I've got to give this, uh, you know, in recent times, the athletes that I coach that go into Ironman races, the courses seem to be, the accuracy seems to be improving a lot, um, and most courses seem to be pretty much bang on the money, so, well, but, but which nowadays, is great. But like, okay, GPS is a little bit out, you know, it's not 100% accurate. 
But you should be pretty good nowadays. Pretty, you should be pretty close. Yeah, yeah. You know, back in the old days, you can understand if you, you know, maybe you know, technology didn't make it easy for us. But nowadays, you should have at least GPS the course. Mm. You know, I'm okay with courses being within a k on the bike. Yeah, and within say 400 meters on the run or so. Yeah, but a, two or three k is a bit of a joke. It is. Yeah. So Lionel Sanders, outstanding and what a uh, performance. Yeah, you just got to take your head off to the dude, and, and I guess the big question is, can he transfer this across to Kona? Because he, he didn't this year; he didn't have a great race in Kona, irrespective. But what we saw with his seventy point three races is comparable performances to this, where he was just decimating the fields. Yeah. But then he went to seventy point three worlds and said he had a fantastic race, but because of the competitiveness of that field, he wasn't able to win yeah. because of the way the race panned out. So I'm just, yeah going to be really excited to see if he can transfer this across to Kona. Well, you know, another year swimming, if he can have a couple of minutes off of that swim, mm-hmm. now that's a lot into in a year, mm-hmm. but, you know, he's, he's making progress in the swim, isn't he? And he's still pretty new to this game. Mm. And um, He's an expert, isn't he? He's, Look he's, at that performance. Mm. And he's, a bit, he's a solid unit. And that may yeah, he's be. Not, he's not. A, he's, he's not. A big, like he's quite broad, isn't he? Mm. A bit like us. You and know? That, that could be one of his downfalls for Kona. You know, it, it's more of an advantage to be a little bit smaller in the heat. Um, but he's not tall. He's, he's taller than me. But yeah, that's well, not saying much. <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking about short world here. Yeah. <laughs> so now that was a wicked performance. They had great conditions. Um, I think I heard, uh, saw on the post that there was a potentially a little bit of drizzle on the the run. Sometimes it can get really windy out there as well. So I think they had the right conditions. But still, seven forty four twenty nine is sensational. Also, got to give um, big ass. I think it's his fourth, yeah, fourth time under eight. Fourth time yeah. under eight hours. And he's yeah. only been in this game a couple of years. Yeah. So, he, and he ran a 2.40.17. So that was pretty wicked. So the athletes who have gone under sub eight hours. So so um, John Levinson sent through a couple of interesting points. Yvonne is the first, um, is the most female under sub nines. Mm-hmm. So she's now hit 12 sub nines. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty phenomenal considering how long she's been around for. Absolutely. You know, because she was around in the early 2000s, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. You know, so she's been at this game for a long time. And sure, we see some of these girls who have been around for a long time still do well in placings. Mm-hmm. You know, so they might still get a top 10, you know, and mm-hmm. you kind of go, oh, that's pretty good considering their age. Now, I don't know Yvonne's age, but but actually still to be pulling off fast times when you've been in the game for this long mm-hmm. is pretty impressive. But Brett McNan is the, he's got the fourth sub eight which ties in with Maka, Marino, Sebastian as well so they've all had four sub eight so no one's hit five yet so mm-hmm. if he gets another sub eight based on what we're seeing so far he'll be the only guy to have hit five so far although mm-hmm. Sebastian probably will as well so TJ Tolkson was uh, in third place there 802 David Police 804 and uh, Guilo Molinari in fifth Pete Jacobs um, did finish he was 18th he swam 49 which is um, yeah about, about normal for him Rode 4.42, got dealt to on the bike, uh, and then ran a steady sort of 3.03 for 8.40. So great to see him racing and, I guess, validating for Kona for next year. So, you know, if he's in shape, he'll be on the start line, which will be his last great. year, won't it? Because he won 2012. So this is the last year he gets validation. Mm. So, you know, he's got a year now. He's, he can kind of really focus on... Let's hope he can get back to the top. Oh, I'd love to see it. Okay, mm. Yvonne's 38. 38, I was going to oh, so say. Still got, you know. She's spring chicken. Um, I've got to say, uh, David Police is a guy who's improved a lot lately. So he's very involved in the, the Bahrain team, and I and I believe he was actually based in Bahrain. No, we haven't interviewed him. Mm. He was a big unit when we saw him in Kona from, yeah. from memory. Um, he ran 2.45, and he's uh, he seems to be steadily improving. So good on him. got to say, Yvonne Van Bergen's website is 1995. <laughs> look at that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> look at that down the bottom. 
Look at that. That's like, oh, she, she got ripped off of her webmaster, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> On the girls' side of things, Meredith Kessler had an awesome race, um, swam 49, rode 444, and ran 3.09 for an 8.48.23, which in itself, you know, even it's going to be about Lionel Sanders, but that's still a sensational time. Yeah. Um, Yvonne Van Vlerken, she was 11 minutes down in the swim. She did claw it back on the bike. She rode 4.40. And I have thought that she might have clawed a bit back on the run. It kind of stayed about the same for the bulk of the run. Um, she ran a 3.08 for an 8.51.27. Because you'd normally pick her to have the run over, Meredith, wouldn't you? A little bit. Well, yeah, I would have expected them to both run a little bit quicker than that, Closer to, to three. Closer yeah. to three. Um, so... Maybe they just bite. But, you know, Iron Man's a funny sport, isn't it? Full on. Full on. Um, and Melinda Elmore from Canada, great run, 3 hours and 52 minutes, also went sub-9 for an 8.57. Yeah, and the cave's name's in there. So she's... Yep. Yeah, she apparently she had a cold, uh, so she wasn't uh, on fire, but again, validated for Kona next year, so she's all good. And Angela Neath, who was right up there off the bike... She rode a 4.36, uh, and I think she was second off the bike, I think. I was watching a bit of the coverage, um, but she had some a foot issue or something like that. So, look, fantastic racing and uh, good conditions, and, uh, yeah, very, very fast times. We also had another Ironman. Which, what, how do you say this one, John? Fort Laser. Now, this was non-pro. Non-pro. Got a team, a team won it? Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, a team yeah. won it. Holy smokes. I didn't realise they had teams. Did I miss that? I must have. They only had 651 athletes. Do we see mm -hmm. this race disappearing? Um, it's the second of the Brazilian races. Uh, don't know. Yeah. Well, no, well, if we're looking at other races around the world, mm. this race would not be on exactly. in this couple of years. Yeah. You know, and, and they've got teams. Maybe now, there was a 70.3 as well, was there? Probably. Well, yeah, we've done our research on this one, well, guys. It's not 70.3. Work, it's, week, it's Iron, Iron Man week. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> learned the name of our show. Jose <laughs> Bella... Uh, Bellamino Souza Filho took it out in 9.12 from Felipe Deirel Silvestre in 9.18 and Gustavo Fleuro Soares in third in 9.20. Oh, seven seconds in front of the next dude. Pretty close racing. On the girls' side of things, we had. Was there, was there a 70.3? Um, uh, oh, I didn't really look, John. Ma Maria... Porini from Uruguay took it out in 10.45, Paula Ponte in 10.49, and Livia Bustamante in 11.02. It doesn't look like it, although that's me doing one click. Okay. So, turn your mic around. Turn your mic around. It's, okay. going, it's going away. Um, yeah, uh, debatable. I'm not sure. It's not obvious. Uh, yeah, they're just really talking about what's happening in Arizona. Which makes sense. Okay, so that's that race happening. We'll be interested to see what happens. One of do my rant, yeah. I mean, I, oh, sorry, that. back it up. That's the only reason people were listening this week. They're yeah. excited about the rant. Okay, Jonbo. We get. Well, I think I posted something on Facebook yesterday, and, which and Pete, Pete Colson, Colson sent through. Yeah, great. It's had uh, five thousand views so far. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was brilliant. So, look, my rant is. Here we go. I've, I've had a day to call off. That's I the tell problem. you what, we need you to wake up in the morning, find out the news, and turn the mic on. I should. I was pretty fired up. So, I'm watching the Ironman coverage and see Lionel Sanders finish and thinking that's an awesome time. I was actually tracking it going, geez, he's going to go pretty close to being to, to, to you know, 7.40 or something like that. And uh, across the line, 7.44, and all you can see is his post starting to go up. World Ironman record time. And, and, World and record the venting time. and the tension venting. and the energy starts to build in John Newsom. The venting began. 
So I officially I sent an email to Andrew Messick saying this is not acceptable. Did you really? <laughs> I didn't, <laughs> but I was very close to doing something oh, okay. like that. <laughs> you know, because Bevan, look. Oh, I get the Bevan. That's my mum. Despite what people say, you're not a moron. Okay, just just you're not a moron. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Finally, I always thought I was. I'm not a moron. Well, <laughs> and that's debatable as well from a lot of people. But this is Iron Man treating us like we're complete morons. Yeah, and it pisses me off. Here we go. In politics and other sport, when you know that someone is just telling you complete bullshit, well, and they look you in the face, yep. and they say it, and you, you're just going, how can you be seriously saying that? Yep. You know the sport, we know the sport, you're just full of it. And what pisses me off the Here most yeah. is um, is Triathlete Magazine, you're out, you're, you're gone to me. You're dead to him. Triathlete.com, I mean, it's fair enough for Iron Man to be you know, blowing their own bloody trumpet and saying how wonderful it is, which, again... Not taking anything away from Lionel Sanders because he's awesome. Yeah, because um, we don't want that's the thing. We don't want our attention to be on Lionel because, wow, well, third best of all time. Phenomenal. Yeah. And we can debate course distances or whatever. It's, that's not what I'm concerned about because if they say it was a world record, previous world record was Austria, and we know that that was short as well. So you can't, that's just an irrelevant argument from, from my standpoint of view. It is a fact that it's not the fastest iron distance time of all time. And Mike Riley is just as guilty as Triathlete Magazine of saying, this is a world best time. And then they did the same thing at prize giving as well. It really infuriates me, Bevan. Well, in this uh, Triathlete, they do acknowledge previous other records. But what's the headline? Yeah, the headline is on a sense it's world, I mean, world record. Hang your head in shame, Mike Triathlete Magazine. You Hang your right. head in shame. So, but the headlines is what people click, isn't it? So it's you know it's clicking. Uh, it's but then you see other people posting on Facebook, "Hey, there was a new world record time." It's like I, I really want to reply to all these posts. You yeah, spent last night just going to every post on Facebook. God, it really pisses me. So off. what should they say then? Of course, record time, fastest time in America, or whatever it is. We'll jump forward to the discussion of the there week. We Here we go. Is in a, in a way maybe they should do a little bit of what cycling did. Clear the slate clean and clear the records clean. And if you want to be claiming that you've got a world record time, it's got to be on a certified course. It's not hard to do. The same thing applies. I'm sure, uh, uh, Swanee, you can probably tell me if I'm correct here, but I guarantee that you can't say marathons. Yeah. It's got to be certified, and, and and it could be ITU who's impartial. They just have a certification process. All they need to do is send one person out to a race. If you want to be a certified distance, they go and measure the course. It's really not that hard. And whoever's got the fastest time on a certified course has got the world's fastest time. I'm with you, Jim. It's just ridiculous. I hate being treated like a moron, and that's what, how I feel. Well, that, it's kind of, it divides people about it, isn't it? Because it's. It's this. There's a people like us, our world. We just go, what idiots? Mm. You know, we just go, oh, what idiots? But then the other people who know nothing about sport go, oh, it's a world record. Yeah. So it kind of, you know, like it's. Uh, and I guarantee, well, I'm not going to guarantee. But I'll, go. I'll go close to guaranteeing that Lionel Sanders won't claim that as, be, as him being the fastest in the world. No, of course not. He won't. No, that, a lot of other people will write stuff about it. Iron Man will be pumping it up, but yeah. Anyway. Oh, and the other thing they did, but they did retract this, is when he came off the bike with a sensational 404 um, on the bike. I mean, that's it, what's impressive because he didn't win a 242. I know. You know, like, Butterworth, is it Butterworth? Who's the no, no, it's a, so I looked up Starkowitz's time in Starkowitz, Florida. Sorry, yeah. He rode 402, so he did have the fastest. And what did he run that day? Do you know? It wasn't oh, a 242. No, no, it would have been three hours or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Ballpark, if yeah. I'm guessing. So that's what's phenomenal, because we've seen strong rides in the past, mm. but not backing it up for the low 240s. And so Fredino and Rote, he rode uh, 408, 
Um, so okay, maybe that. for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so look, yeah, Lionel Sanders, bloody legend, and he's great breath, breath of fresh air, breath of fresh air for our sport. He's got a cool attitude. He's got a cool story, and he's bringing eyeballs to the sport. And so I think he's fantastic. So this isn't directed to him in any shape or form. It's directed directly at Iron. Just, just in the post that we put in the you put the video up on our Facebook page, and thanks for um, Peter Coulson for doing that. Um, Dana Spencer has got here, but wait, Kona is still the world championship, according to this. Are you correct? Yeah, Kona's the world championship. Well, they're I, talking about a world record time. Yeah, I know, but the kind of the argument here is that is you see world records everywhere in the world, same in athletics. It's kind of like baseball saying, well, I suppose it yeah, is the world championship. You have, championship but you have a championship record time. But no, but I mean, what they're saying is they're allowed to say it's a world championship, though maybe it's not. Oh, right. You get what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. you could put another triathlon else in the world. Or you have say. the ITU world long distance yeah, champs. Yeah, so. Anyway, um, you let it out. Do you want a hug? Still pretty fired up. Still pretty fired up. Yeah. <laughs> Did you tell Belinda about it? Yeah. <laughs> what did she say? Well, she was on my computer upstairs, and once I posted the stuff, she said, "Oh, I just, we just, you just got a notification. This post is performing better than anything else in the last two months." <laughs> okay. Okay. John's fave. One of John's faves is a race coming up. Puke. No, no, it's been done and dusted. Oh, it's been done and dusted. Is yep. it? Phuket? Ray Raylert took it out. Um, Michael, Michael Raylert. Took it out in Laguna Phuket triathlons, 1.8k swim, 50k bike, 12k run. Michael Rayleigh took it out from Anthony Coasters and Brad Carterfelt on the girls' side of things. It's Amelia Watkinson. You got to look out for her. She's a Kiwi, she's Kiwi. girl. She's smoking it, man. She's had some really good results this year. She took it out from 70.3 girl. Yep, yep. Uh, How from, come I've never heard of her, John? Um, she's been doing the Asian races. Oh. So, so she was one of those ones that went over there on the Tanya Pora. What's your cables, Bevan? You, 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 you've done a poor setup. I gave you adequate time to set <laughs> you up. Gave today, you forty minutes to set up. And my uh, microphone keeps moving. Um, she's been based over in Tanyapura, and uh, was she one of the ones who did the scholarship thing? Yes. Oh wow. Mm. And Emma Plant was second, and Radka Vitakova was third, and I believe Radka Vitakova and Brad Carterfield are getting married in the next couple of weeks. Oh, that's a bit of inside gossip as well, John. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Your email. You can answer your email as well. You're doing the show as well. Great special. What, what is that email? Great special somewhere. Oh, there you go. Oh, that's a reply to my okay. so, House Travel Triathlon Festival this weekend. Come and enter. Last day, last two days to enter. Do you, do you do the person who works, turns up in the morning? No. Do you not? No. Do you, but then you charge them 100 bucks more? No. You make them pay. No. Uh, missing out. Okay. ITU Cross World Champs. Now, what's a Cross World Champ, John? I know nothing about this. Xterra, basically. It's ITU's, uh, what is ITU, uh, ITU's word for Xterra. So it was held in Australia, and they uh, prize money, 5250 for first place. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, going down to 10th place. So it went 5200 4200 3100 2100 and uh, down to 10th place. They had a mixed team relay. You win that, you get 1500 bucks US. And is it swim, bike, run, or is it each does it? Uh, yeah, but you have a swimmer, a biker, a runner. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So we had uh, Ruben Rizafa from Spain take it out in... 234 uh, from Josiah Midow from the States in 237 and Kiwi Braden Curry was in third place in 238. He was on the news the other night, Braden Curry. He's our good uh, Kiwi fellow who does multi sport and triathlon, tried to make it to the Olympics um, and has just sort of floundered at Olympic distance but done extremely well um, in halves and uh, said he was going to be you know, trying to get to Kona and doing that. I'm not sure if it's this season or next season. But, oh, really? Um, he um he's the business man. He could uh, could do quite well. Flora Duffy took out the girls' when, race. But when you say quite well, top ten? 
Yeah, I believe so. Yep, okay. Um, Flora Duffy took out the girls' race. So, man, she has just had a crushing season. Um, Barbara Veros was second, and uh, those two were quite a long way in front of Suzanne Snyder in third place. So, cross triathlon, it was a <coughs> 1,500-metre uh, swim, 32K mountain bike, and 10K run. So, it's you know sort of designed to be ballpark Olympic distance, except obviously the bike takes a lot longer and the run whilst 10k took uh, Flora Duffy 53 minutes, so it must have been fairly challenging. Okay, um, coming up this weekend, we've got Ultraman, Ultraman, is this a Hawaii Ultraman? Hawaii Ultraman. Okay, and we've also got Cozumel, but let's look at Ultraman first, so it's that three-day race that we, we give a bit of love on the show. We will, we'll probably go into this in a bit <laughs> more detail next year, but you swim uh, 6.2 miles, or I think it's 10, 10 uh, what is that, probably uh, it's 8, that's... Seven point. Oh, it's, it's double Ironman anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to do the maths. Well, wait a second. We're swimming. It's 6.4, uh, 7.6. 7. 7. I assume it's 7.6. Uh, I, I have a feeling it's 10K actually, so maybe it's more than double Ironman. Okay. You, you do the conversion. Okay, wait a second. What is it? I have a f- 6.2 miles. I have a feeling that's 10Ks. Yeah, you will be right. Um, bike 261 miles. That's broken a little bit. So day one you do the swim and then you do um, part of the bike. And the second day you do a gigantic big bike ride and third day you do a double marathon from Harvey back to Hawaii which is completely insane if you've been to Hawaii you just your mind will boggle if you haven't been to Hawaii your mind should be boggling because you basically start <laughs> up at Harvey you run was it 6.2 6.2 10k Times one point and you run from Harvey, you're basically running the reverse uh, Ironman course and once you get onto the Queen K, I mean the Queen K when you're riding along it's you know got the undulations and it's really straight but when you're running you just hit, you'd just be looking at the distance it would just be never ending. Mind numbing. Yeah that would be rough and hot. Okay so it's hot. 9.92 John. Pretty close. That's not quite <laughs> Within the margin of error. <laughs> You're happy with that? Yeah, okay. i got to say, this is the theme today. It, it's 1990s websites. Look at Ultraman's website. website. <laughs> oh, God. Team's up and up. Yeah. It's been around long enough to spend a few hundred dollars on a website. Okay, so it's Ultraman coming up. We've also got Cozumel and uh, Field. Let's have a look here. Last year, we had Stefan Schmidt take this out in 8.12 and Corinne Abraham in 9.06. It's a pretty good field here. Yeah, and I think that's a bit of a theme from the recent races. A lot of good athletes. There is a few asterisks in the girls because these are people that have entered other races within the within a few weeks. So um, Torsten's sort of got some asterisks next to them. But Chris Lieferman. Does asterisk mean they're pulled out or unlikely to race? They entered, but they probably raced last okay. weekend at somewhere or they're racing maybe racing uh, Western Australia the weekend after so they're hedging their bets um, Frederick Van Leer seed second Michael Weiss Matt Russell Tim Don um, Alexandro Di Giuseppe so yeah good quality field again yeah, Bevan you've been pointing out the last few weeks you know there's about 40 odd athletes yes even Bayless someone said his name on a start list well Jared Shoemaker making his Ironman debut he's a Former very good ITU athlete, um, faded quite a bit in the last few years. Um, suspect he'll have a good swim, good run. We'll just have to see what sort of uh, biker he's like. Okay. Um, Gil, so I think it's Corinne Abraham, Michelle Vesterby, and Angela Nath. Angela Nath raced at the weekend. All of those three have got asterisks next to them. Um, Camilla Peterson, Amanda Stevens, she's got an asterisk as well. So we'll just kind of see who, uh, who rocks up. Got to say, just so thought someone might go mad at me, athletes with an asterisk next to them are also registered for another race within eight days. Yes, there which would go. mean either Arizona just been or Western Australia is next weekend. 
But, you know, when we think about old uh, Reef, she did two in eight days. Exactly. So it doesn't mean they're not racing team. Okay, new Ironman distance happening in Australia. Looks pretty cool. Kangaroo Island Sufferfest Multisport Festival. That's a big name for a, for a race. Yeah. Yeah. Tell get, me about get it, that, Get that tattooed on, you, yeah. on, your, <laughs> on your forehead. Um, 24th to 26th of November. It's kind of, to me, it, it looks like a bit of a hits type race. So kind of got something for everybody. They've got an uh, Olympic distance race. They've got a half Ironman race. They've got an enticer for the And they've got a kids race. They've got running events. They've got swimming events. Um, they've got a frogman, so a swim run, and uh, done in pairs over a 10k course. So these guys run a number of races in Australia. So you Aussies, check it out. 24th to 26th of November would be a great, if anything, what are, what are the entry fees like? I can't see straight off here. But it would be, um, it's one of those things. A lot of these non-branded smaller races probably aren't going to be your A race for the season. Really good opportunity to go do a, solid training day yeah. if, if the, you know these these races need to have one of their point of differences as being the affordability and uh if you can go out there and uh so you know have a fantastic catered training day set yourself up for races later in the season now being a suffer fest is it pretty epic you tell me Bevan. well I don't, I don't know you're on the website you've, you've had that extra 40 minutes to do prep i'll go i'll go i'll go into uh, i actually got the website done i've got ahead of myself uh nemo brock is nemo dory brock is brock I think she's told us how to say it. I sent through an email just with some love for Ironman North is it Carolina. Yeah. So basically, uh, it seems that you guys have skipped over covering Ironman North Carolina, which is held on October the 22nd. This is a shame since it's the last time the race will be held. More news you haven't covered. Sorry, Nori. Sorry, Nemo. Bloody hell. Um, as you may recall, WTC bought Beach to Battleship, a.k.a. B2B, last year and rebranded as Ironman North Carolina. B2B had been running since 2008 and with both the full and a half iron distance races held on the same day. Ironman took over the event last year and kept this that basic format for its inaugural event this year. Unfortunately, due to the impact of Hurricane Matthew to the local area, the bike course was shortened to 56 miles. With the change, it was under, uh, while the change was understandable, the communication regarding this matter from Ironman was piss poor. The hurricane hit two weeks before the event, and anyone paying attention knew that there was going to be significant flooding and road damage on the bike course. But Ironman remained completely silent on the issue until Tuesday before the race, when they informed athletes by email that the course would be shortened to 50 miles for both the full and the half. And then on Thursday before the Saturday race, athletes were informed that the athlete briefing the course was changed again and would be 56 miles. The race itself was cold, about 11 degrees Fahrenheit, I mean Celsius. Cold. That is cold. And then 42 Fahrenheit. Uh, at the start, rising to around 17 or 64, depending on your thing. Windy with uh, 11 to 20 mile gusts, up to 25 mile. Uh, the winner of the 73 managed to miss a, a oh, turn boy in the swim course and was DQ'd. Oh, that sucks because you don't know until you finish properly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, like it's all cool. It sucks anyway, but if you've won the race. And you've run a marathon as well. Oh, oh, that was 70 from the very. About a week after the race, I mean, sent out an email and a full discount finishes with a discount code with $150 to. 2017 Ironman race based in the US. Meanwhile, registration for Ironman North Carolina 2017 was simply listed as TBD, with lots of rumours starting circulated about the race move to a date in the spring or being cancelled. On November the 7th, Ironman announced that the full distance Ironman race at Ironman North Carolina will be discontinued. They will only be holding a 70.3 event going forward, so chalk up another one for Ironman killing a great grassroots race. 
Uh, side note, yes, both the full and half races filled to capacity this year. That's mm. interesting then, isn't it? Mm. Mm. So there's news. I personally hope you... Uh, blah, 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 blah. So it's interesting they've cancelled a race that was full. Yeah, very odd. Um, yeah. The, so the Beach to Battleship was a very much grassroots race. Now, we, we don't know. You know, it's really easy to put the boot into Ironman here, but they may have saved the race. It may have folded otherwise. Yeah. And I think that was the it case. It was one of those races that kind of did uh, okay, but... It was, it was just a moderate size. But yeah. it's like if the event organisers run out of steam and they just wanted to get get rid of it and hope it carried on so we do, I don't know the inside details of that but it may be that Ironman saved the party and I think that's potentially what they may have done in, in, in Vineman and places like that as well is um, the race may have disappeared but Ironman see an opportunity to keep the race going and um, yeah so I'm not, I'm not going to put the boot in on that. In terms of the winners we had Jennifer Clark um, third place on the girls in 7 hours 15 so these guys girls swam 54 and then the bike times were 7.42 and then they obviously ran the marathon. Um, Sabrina Perez was second in 7.09 and Amy Farrell was t- first. Nearly a dojo domination. If she'd been able to bike a bit longer I think it would have been 6.53 so 16 minutes in front. On the guys side of things and remember this is a, an age group only race. We had uh, James Duff take it out in 6.08. 11 minute domination over Corey Donahue and Jamie Yon in third in 6.22. So <coughs> it is a shame that there's not another iron distance race there but they're keeping the 70.3 going which is great. Uh, and there's so many iron distance races out there now that mm, but it would be nice to keep a few of those grassroots ones. It's just odd because it sold out. Mm. You know what? If they, you know, look at that one. What was the race we talked about? Four to whatever Fort it is. Laser. You know, six hundred people. You're going to go. Well, maybe it's not sustainable long term, or they're building. Mm. But if that one wasn't there next year, you're going to go. Well, maybe. But and you'd think <coughs> one that sold out. You kind yeah, of make you'd sense. think at that time of the year. I mean, you Americans are no better. I would have thought the weather. You know, sometimes at that time of the year, it's a bit of a roll of the dice. But it was in October twenty second. You'd probably say, chances are, it's probably going to be okay. But this year, eleven degrees. If it's consistently like that every year, you're going to get depleted numbers anyway. So, yeah. Just got to say, going back to your rent, mm. I've got to give Peter Colson some love here because he's done a great job of this video. I'm going to put it on um, imtalk.me this week because... It's on our Facebook page. Uh, unless I'm mistaken, 7044 does not beat 735. Well, I wrote that. I know, oh, I know, but I'm going to play it. What's in here? This is John McEnroe. Oh, serious, man. You cannot be serious. Answer my question. It's great. The question, jerk. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. <laughs> McEnroe, I wish I was around in McEnroe's day. Like, I slightly remember him when I was younger, but it would have been great to watch a game of tennis. Yes. He went off like that, eh? Yeah. He, <laughs> he just went off. And now he's a highly respected tennis commentator. Yeah, apparently he's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't actually watch tennis, so I don't know, but apparently he's a brilliant commentator. But he was just gold. You cannot be serious! <laughs> <laughs> just about cracked 6,000 uh, views on Facebook. <laughs> so there you go. No, oh, that's absolute gold. Uh, Peter, uh, Peter Coulson, you rock. Okay, John's sponsor. What do I got going here, Ben? Ethlinks.com. You're talking about Peter Mills. He's one up over you on Ethlinks. I got. I didn't get fired up on this one, but Peter Mills, new patron of the show. We'll get a nickname for him yeah, uh, probably yeah, next week. Yeah. He sent me through his little blog there, and he was on Epic Camp, and he wrote his little blog, Athlinks, um record 0-1 t- t- against John Newsom. Oh, okay. I thought, 
and it was at a particular race. Uh, it was Ironman UK 2004, I think it was. August 22nd, 2004. And when I quickly read it, I thought, he's got one up on me. No, come on. I've got, so I have to go and find the uh, Spencer Smith results. And, and so I thought, oh, what year was that? Because he didn't mention the year. And I thought, oh, what year did I do that? And I was thinking through it. And then I just thought, hey, just go to Athlinks. And it's got everything there. And I don't you have got to go 19th. and find, don't have to go and find, the, uh, find the results. I did get 19th. What's interesting about that, Jay Newsom got 19th. Jay Newsom with an E, got 20th. How about that? So there's a Jason Newsom with well, an E. That's I think we've talked about this, this race in the past, but it's still gold going back to it. So listen to these names. Xavier Leflock. He was a very solid Frenchie. Was he? Mm-hmm. Craig Walton. Yeah, legendary he's, 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 he's the guy who does the Q. Oh, no. No, no, no that's Kiwani. Craig Watson. Oh, okay. Craig Walton was uh, a demon swim biker and often held on for on the run. He, d- he didn't get a world title, but he won a lot of World Cup races. Okay, we've got um, Dirk Bockel. Dirk Bockel was in there. Yeah, we've got um, Aline... Ain Ala Johansson. He won Ironman New Zealand when he did the half that year. We got um, Lothar Leader. Spencer Smith. Spencer Smith. Another name that I saw in there. Stephen um, Bayless. We just mentioned her. Yeah. Was um, Matt Dixon, the coach. Oh, he, Matt Dixon. I, yeah. I assume it's the same Matt Dixon. And he was. Uh, is he Great British, is he? Yeah. He was four places behind me. Um, we, we'll add there. You win the coach's race. Yeah. So who was the person who said they beat you? Uh, Peter Mills, but he didn't. I think he had zero and one. And I just. Quickly read it, thought Peter Mills beating me. Peter Mills, he's, he's 50, he was on Epic Camp, fifty-year-old dude, yep. and uh, had a great camp. Really strong runner, really strong biker, swimming, not his forte. Like, Sanders <laughs> in, a, in a big way, and I thought surely, I mean, I, I, that was my comeback race, and uh, and I didn't race particularly well, but I thought I think I would have taken Peter. What made you come back? Because you've been over in UK for a bit. I wanted to do an Ironman because I. would I did Ironman South Africa in 2001 yep. and just a bit of a piss poor effort and, yep. and sort of did it. And then I thought, we're coming back. And I was setting up a coaching business. So I thought, I want to give it give Ironman a bit of a crack. And uh, so I started training and that was sort of a, just a kickstart into training. So did you, did you must come back to New Zealand not long after this? Because you started yes. coaching me around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we came, so that would have been mid, mid-2004 and we came back at the end of 2004. What I've got to give myself a little bit of love here. So I, I'd been yeah, out of yeah. the game for quite a while. For a well, 2001, you did I'm in South Africa. So was that your last race? For, I mean, I did a little bit after that, but nothing. So basically three years. Three years, more or less. Probably two years really out of the game. And, and what did you do in that two years? Did you run? Did you do anything? Did a little bit of cross-country stuff, but yeah, more recreational yep, stuff. Yep. Maybe exercising every second day. Um, look at that T2, Bevan. First race, but no, this was actually my second race back. Oh, you, you did it. You did it even James Isles. First sequel. Yeah. First T2. sequel. Yep. Look at that. I was very proud of that. And T1 was pretty close to being fastest as well. I beat all the pros in front of me just about. Yeah. Spencer Smith took me down by two seconds. And you got Johan Johansson. Took nearly put a minute into him. <sighs> Weak. So there you go. It's all about the transitions. <laughs> when you had a bad day, look for the transitions. So com. I guess the point of this <laughs> was... I was able to go, don't have a clue what year that race was. Boom, Athlinks profile, find it straight away. Easy. Yeah, there you go, team. So you've got to look up on Athlinks. What's that about? What do you want to do there? Oh, I'll uh, take a pause and I'll get this right. Up okay, I'm going to go to the toilet. So you do that. I've been for a pee. Been for a pee? Yep. Do you know your fridge is going to get raided again today? You want more chocolate? Yeah. Why is that? Because last week, if you recall from last week, oh, I that's what you're going out for your head to get a can of coke. <laughs> And I, had, and, I, and I raided Bevan's uh, chocolate fridge. You, you discovered he, the secret drawer, didn't you? Because he didn't have any ice. And I've, I've been struggling a little bit with my biking. Just not quite Have you hitting. found the remedy, have you? 
went out there and did three by 15 minutes and it's the best bike ride I've had in months. Something in my chocolate chocolate. Something in the chocolate. I haven't got the Coke today, but I am going to hit the chocolate. You think the chocolate's the key to you? So mm. I need to buy two blocks a week now, do I? Yeah. <laughs> Basically one for when yeah. you come around. Get the good stuff. Get the lint stuff. No, I don't like the lint. Oh, really? I reckon that's better. Well, that's high car- It's got um, it's much higher carbs. You get the 90 to 95% hey, lint. John, carbs is what you need. You're going to hear soon. Carbs is what you need. I'll, I'll pull out a study that John Ballard sent me last week and that'll, uh, Quality that'll set, carbs. The, set the standards what are the What are the top people doing, John? What are the top people We're going to go into that very soon. Uh, last week's discussion. So we had a discussion around the whole idea of is a sub-10 hour for a girl the equivalent of a sub-9 hour for a guy in racing? And we Best topic ever. Yeah, well, we got a huge, got eight, <laughs> huge reply. I have to admit, when I read it, I actually thought it was better than the responses we got. Okay. We only got eight. Sometimes we get lots and sometimes we don't. So basically, let's, you can go first, John. Chrissy McKinley, I'd say sub nine for the guys equals sub nine fifty-ish for the girls, but possibly bike course dependent. Okay, well, Andy, how's that one? Blaskers. Uh, we're also sinking competitive. Truth be told, all of these numbers are arbitrary. As if a 7.46 or a 7.59 are similar results, but a 7.59 and 8.01 are so far apart. I find it similar to over-the-top 50th anniversary is somehow more important than the 50th first. Well, this guy's going into detail. Uh, if we're going to compare, and perhaps we are, with a simple comparison, the fastest females is a percentage of the fastest male with an X percent of the winning male would be a better comparison. So yeah, that's kind of a good way of looking at it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, or we'd just be happy with giving it our best and cheering amongst our friends, family, and heroes alike. Now, nah, wouldn't that be fun? Although I've got to say, so Matt... Fitzgerald, we took, we're interviewing him soon, but I actually interviewed him for my other podcast about the last book he did, which was How Bad Do You Want It? Um, and these times do matter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he has to say, in this book, it's a, I really recommend reading it. It's a really great book, because basically what he does is he does, uh, each each chapter is a story around some endurance events. So he's got Siri Lindley, he talks mm-hmm. a bit about um, Paul Newby Fraser, um, just some really good stories. Got a really good one about some Kiwi rowers. Mm-hmm. So a great book. And then there's kind of the lesson of the thing within it. But he talks about how if you look at marathon times, there's always a cluster around the key time. Break. So under three hours, absolutely. You know, under is. three and a half. You know, and yeah. it, these things work. They are motivators. Yeah. You know, to you know, I didn't get the sub nine, and there's you know, sure, I've got to be happy. I got to a close to nine hours, but it's the thing you don't want to live and live or die by them. But but they motivate people, don't you? Strong motivator for yeah. me to write to be sub nine. Yeah. Um, if I have a fantastic race and I go nine oh one, I'm not going to be bloody killing myself or anything but I'll be going shit I wish I could have gone a minute faster I did get the knife out that night John <laughs> <laughs> okay so I wonder um, what those scars were <laughs> <laughs> Bill Hodgson's got no my understanding is that when we're looking at the top of the lads and the ladies across pretty much any timed event it takes a woman roughly an additional 9% of the total male finish time putting a female 9 hour equivalent at 9.49 that's a pretty good answer nice work Bill yeah, Hodgson that may win answer of the week okay. we don't have answer of the week but now we do Chrissy McKinley was pretty close she said about 9.50 as well so nice work I like that Uh, then we had Tom Vickery look at Florida as it was an age group race two female sub 10s out of 547 compared to three sub 9 out of 1700 I would say the gap would be closer to 45 to 50 minutes okay Uh, well I think that's a general consensus isn't it Peter Patrick uh, Watkinson's got yes it is that's Mm. not the answer of the week (laughs) (laughs) well what did um I think. Let me Wait, just, Peter Mills, have we mentioned him? 
No, I'm you go for it. to answer because we, we must see everyone. Uh, what I would say is percentage of men going sub nine hours in all Ironman races and then take that percentage to find the woman's time that matches that same percent. So very kind of statistic. Matthew Bin's got on the assumption that we are taking age groupers. Yep, sub nine for men, sub 10 for women. Sounds about right to me. So this has nothing to do with the age groupers, but um, if we look at Austria, not Austria, if we look at Arizona just the weekend being, granted Lionel Sanders was racing out of his skin and Meredith Kessler didn't potentially have her best ever race. Mm. He went 7.44, she went 8.48, so 64 minutes difference. But yeah, if we look at, um, we've already had Tom Vickery mentioning there Arizona, where we um, had two guys under nine, and uh, no, three guys under nine and two guys, uh, two girls under 10. I had a quick look at um, at Roth and wrote Challenge wrote and how many girls was there, Bevan? Nine under 10. Nine under 10, and I was, I'm was i only on the first page, there's already 11 under under um, nine for the guys, so I didn't even go to page two, so I think there'll be a lot more if we go there in terms of sub nines, so yeah. But I guess it's not just about the numbers, I, I, I just wondered if there's the same sort of prestige out there. If you're a girl, well, if you're sub th- th- that is the problem, isn't it? Because if, if, at nine fifty, it seems like it's probably right. Mm. Um, but the hour marks, eh? Or the half an mm. hour marks? Mm. You know, the the hour marks the big one, isn't it? If you can get a three a sub three hour marathon, or mm. if you can do a sub four hour marathon, or you know, the the hour mark does seem to like. I know when I'm commentating at a race, and it's getting close to an hour mark, you're yelling at the crowd to get mm. in. You know, the runners up the road saying, "Guys, you got in five minutes. Come on, get in." Mm. And you know that they want that encouragement because there's something about those hour marks. Whereas, you know, if you if you an eight forty five is a great result. Absolutely. But that kind of sense of achievement when you hit a sub nine, mm. is there's something about it, isn't there? Mm. Yeah, it's magic in the number. Right. Okay, this week's discussion. We've got two options here, Bevan. So we, last week we had the, we had... Um, can I add, can, I like this, but can I add a second one on top of it? Or a third one, even? Well, no, it's totally, it's too, it's totally off topic. We'll, we'll save this one until next week then. No, right? no, no, no. Cause okay. So the reason I came up with this one was because last week we had... From the the Sun in the UK, um, Tim. Tim Hemming. Tim Hemming was he released the article about the Olympics potentially going to a sprint distance. Apparently, there's a bit of a Twitter war. Who's telling me? Yeah, and apparently now there's some people who are trying to retract it, saying no, no, that's not the case. I think it's a case of when, not if that this happens. Yep. It may not happen. Come, um, come. So you think it's Tokyo? definitely happening? Just time frame's not right. Yeah, it, there's going to be some sort of format change. It's got to be because it's got got to be more spectator friendly in terms of eyeballs on the screen that's what the olympics is all about as we all know <laughs> so what format would you like to see at the olympics forget i man i man's not going to make it but in terms of the current format you're only going to have those itu standard athletes what sort of format would you like to see there in terms of not just fulfilling your triathlon juices but in terms of what's probably best for the sport in terms of getting the best spectacle out of those athletes so the most people are watching it and and can hopefully you know draw the next generation into imagine if they had i know i'm going a bit ahead of myself but team time trial with individual athletes team time trial with individual athletes so you've got the best 1500 meters women in the world right the best 40k time trialist Time and the best 10k runner. Time trialing. No, but boring. no, but not time trial. But team race. Right. You get what I mean. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean. Clash so it's a team race. Thing. Yeah, and, and you're shorter distance, so you maybe go 400 meter swim. So you get the best 400 meter swimmer. So we'd have, you know, New Zealand for example. You might have in the old days you have Daniel Loder, yep. and then you'd have um, Graham Miller, Sarah Elmer, Sarah Elmer, or someone yep. like that, and then you'd have uh, Nick Willis doing the run if it was a short run. Or like how cool like would that. that be? That would be quite uh, a fun sort of gimmicky thing to do. Yeah. 
Because then you could Because those, those athletes Probably won't do it Because they could double up medals mm. You know what I mean Because you're going to get The same people doing the same race But it's going to be An interesting dynamic Because suddenly The guy got a little bit Ahead in the swim So So what would you do You'd do 15 minutes For the swim You'd probably do Low 50 on the bike Probably 50-ish on the bike yep. And then a 27 minute run Or 26 minute run Something like that But it's a different race As well isn't it mm. Because You also Yeah we're just They're all very Pretty close Abilities. That would be great. The swim would be very close. But you'd always want it shorter, wouldn't you? You want a shorter race. You want mm. 425? Mm. Or, or yeah. But no, that'd be a cool concept. It'd be fun to see. See? Olympics listen to Bevan James. Oh, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Okay, so the one I want to know is just what you're listening to right now, music-wise. Because Jombo, I'm listening to Hamilton, the musical, which I'm sure you know because you're very culturally up to date. Linda and Jen went to that in New York. Oh, they did too. They absolutely loved it. Well, I've got to tell you, guys, listen to the soundtrack. It mm. is mind-blowing. If you want to run like a rock star when you're running, listen to Hamilton because I've been drilling it <laughs> and I've been running like a rock star. And, uh, but got to say, what are you listening to if, if you are listening to music right now, and, and I'll share with my other ones. I'm, I'm, I'm making this thing about when I run, half my time is new music. So the first half of the run is always discovery. Mm. And then the second half is familiar that's motivating. And it's a really good strategy. Or you run with nothing and just enjoy the sounds no, of I the believe, breeze. I fundamentally believe you train better if you use music. Okay. Guarantee it. Anyway, we've got an interview coming up. And I'm sure Matt Fitzgerald would agree with me because he's a wise man. <laughs> so basically he's got a book coming out at the end of the You can't get it yet, but you can pre-order it if you go to Amazon.com. Uh, and it's called The Endurance Diet, The Five Core Habits of the World's Greatest Athletes, to look, feel, and perform better. And I'm going to talk to Matt for about 40 minutes right about now. Okay, team, I'm pretty excited to have um, a name that uh, pretty much I guarantee everybody on this audience knows. He's been probably one of the biggest influences in endurance sports for many years now. He's, he's, how many books have you written? Um, if you count ones I, I've co-authored, you know, collaborated uh, with other people on, I actually don't know. I, it's in the... It's in, <laughs> It's in the upper twenties. Well, that's, that's it's it's actually it's not even a question I like answering because like the number is so ridiculously large. I I fear that it gives people the impression that I don't put any effort into them and just they're all pulp, uh, which I hope is not the case. But I love writing books, so I keep doing it. What yeah. can I say? Yeah, well, Matt Fitzgerald, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, uh, what is your process for writing? Because you 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 are quite prolific and they seem to come out on a pretty consistent basis. Is it very much just a routine base, or do you kind of how do you go about doing it? Yeah, well, it starts with just, uh, you know, having lots of ideas, you know, just being a curious person who's very passionate about, you know, the subject matter I write about, uh, endurance sports. Um, and so, you know, I've always got, take right now, for example, there are three books I want to write. And and in fact, I'm sort of working on in different stages right now, just because like, I'm excited about all of the ideas. And I feel like the world needs this book. So, so that's, that's crucial because if you have discipline and the ability to write but no ideas, not you're not gonna you're not gonna generate many books. But also I am very um, I'm just you know I, I approach I guess writing much in the way I approach endurance sports, which is like just chipping away a little bit a, a day. You know it's just amazing how much progress you make. If, you know if you look at you know four months of training for an event, like if if by the end of that, not trying to do it all at once, you know uh, on any given day. Uh, just being consistent and disciplined, uh, you can build, you know, the fitness to finish an Ironman or, or what have you. And, and writing books is the same way. You don't have to write an entire chapter every day, but if you just do something every day, it adds up. Well, I think it's pretty admirable because I know we're not really here to talk about writing books, but 
actually I think the, the most people have the problem of doing the work you know the idea is never the problem you know you, you've, I've heard yeah. many people say to me I've got a million ideas I just can never make them work and you know to build that muscle of the skill of doing the work is something that a lot of people really lack and uh, obviously you've developed that really strongly in yourself yeah yeah it's 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 a hard job you know filling empty pages because we all have to do it you know in school or whatever and you know, even if if that is your gift, it's still hard work. You know, it's it's not easy, and it, it, it can, there can be like a love hate, sort of like training. You know, what I'm saying? it's like you don't always want to do that workout, <laughs> yeah. but you know, the rewards definitely. Um, if it is your thing, which it is mine, you know, the the reward, it's all worthwhile in the end. So, so your latest book is called The Endurance Diet: Discover the Five Core Habits of the World's Greatest Athletes to Look, Feel, and Perform Better. What What was the idea? You know, you say you know I kind of get these ideas in my head. I know you've done other books on nutrition in the past. What was the seed that got planted in your head around this book? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, as a sports nutritionist and someone who writes about uh, you know um, nutrition for endurance um, and also helps athletes with their nutrition and diet. Um, one thing, you know, this pattern that I've noticed, you know, for years now, which just struck me as really sort of odd is that, um, as a group, uh, professional endurance athletes, you know, true elite athletes tend to kind of eat a certain way. Um, and then competitive recreational athletes eat a completely different way. Oh wow! And it's just, you know, it's so, or in a number of different ways. So if, you know, the shortest description of the typical elite endurance athletes diet is a high quality version of a culturally normal diet. So if you, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time studying the diets of a lot of elite endurance athletes. And at first blush, you don't notice anything. It's just like, well, you know, I, I traveled all over the world to research this book. So if I'm eating with Kenyans, Kenyan runners, they're eating Kenyan food. You know, when, when I'm, when I'm eating with Canadian cross country skiers, it looks recognizably Canadian, but you take a closer look and it's like, oh, all the grains are whole grains and it's, uh, you know, water or, you know, one glass of wine versus a soft drink, you know, that, that they're washing it down with. So, but then, you know, the problem I deal with all the time in trying to help recreational, you know, competitive recreational endurance athletes is they get, they all go for these fad diets. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it can be like, you know, eliminating this, eliminating that, or, you know, doing all these things that are, you know, extreme in one direction or another that the world's best athletes just aren't doing, or um, they're just eating what in this country would be, you know, the standard American diet, which is, you know, culturally normal, but not high quality. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so, you know, fast food, burgers and all that. And, and sometimes it's both. So people will think, Oh, I need to fix my diet and they'll do something extreme and it's unsustainable. And then they'll, you know, pinball back to, you know, a low quality American diet. So this, there's this weird dichotomy where you think like, why don't, why doesn't everyone just do what works for the most successful athletes? And, you know, and part of what muddies the waters for me is that so much of the, the nutrition advice, you know, when you have, you know, if you have other, you know, endurance diet gurus, peddling a shtick <laughs> to endurance athletes, they'll sell it with science, right? It's always science. Like, oh, well, you know, this, because of this little biochemical story, we can tell like, this is the way everyone should eat. And it's something extreme that doesn't work for, for many people. And so I, I really got tired of, you know, science being used to uh, peddle extreme diets to endurance athletes that ultimately just didn't, didn't do them any good. 
So with this book, I wanted to sort of shift the entire terms of the debate and almost say, I mean, there's plenty of science in this book, but it's not, I'm not leading with science. It's just more of like a monkey see, monkey do argument where I'm just like, I'm showing you, I'm giving you a seat at the table with, um, uh, you know, truly elite endurance athletes in all disciplines from, you know, triathlon to rowing and all continents, um, all over the world. And you see this consistent pattern where it's just like, you know, normal, but, but, but very high quality balanced, not that hard to sustain and just making the argument. And by the way, the science does support these habits when you, when you get to that, but I really want to lead with a sort of like a monkey see monkey do argument. It's like, why not just, uh, you know, do what seems to work best for, for the best. So, so ultimately you're saying that, you know, the pro, the top athletes, it's actually not that pretty kind of we could, we could almost identify what they're doing if we were just to sit and think logically about it yeah so you know this has already been done with and this is part of what inspired me to write the book is um it, this has already been done with training um you, you know a, a couple of years ago i wrote a book called 80 20 running um and 80 20 refers to uh, an, a balance of intensity um and so there's a there's a uh exercise physiologist he's actually american but he's based in norway named steven seiler so sort of early in his career he thought you know why don't i try and find out exactly rigorously quantitatively how elite endurance athletes actually train so he embarked on this project to like you know to you know slap heart rate monitors on you know elite kenyan runners for a week and see like how much of their training was at a physiologically defined low intensity versus moderate versus high um, and other, other people have done similar types of research, but in a balkanized, scattered sort of way where Siler wanted to see, like, is there a common pattern? Because, you know, there's a difference between, you know, swimming and cross-country skiing. Obviously, there are surface differences, but they're all cousins. You know, they're all endurance sports. So generally, if there is such a thing as an, an, an optimal method of training, there should be a family resemblance. And, and he found exactly that, that um, and it wasn't true generations ago, you know. Previous generations of endurance athletes trained in all kinds of different ways, and swimmers didn't necessarily train the same way as as runners. Mm. Uh, but there was this evolution and a convergence where now virtually all of the world's elite endurance athletes in all disciplines do 80% of their training at low intensity, 20% at, at moderate to high intensity. In biology, they, they refer to this phenomenon as convergent evolution, and it's pretty much the most powerful real world, world evidence you can come up with that nature has an optimal solution to the problem. So you don't really need science to get there. And in fact, you can't really necessarily deduce optimal solutions to complex real world problems. You just have to run, you have to run the experiment in nature and it's just kind of trial and error, which is no good if you're, you know, uh, Johnny Weissmuller, the best swimmer from the 1920s, <laughs> which is just too early for these methods to have been discovered. So, but for us, it's an advantage because that's, that problem has basically been solved. So, Basically, I wanted to do the same thing with diet that Steven Seiler had done. You know, I'm not, I don't have a PhD in exercise science, so my process wasn't as rigorous as his. But I wanted to see, you know, are there core patterns there? Because, you know, diet obviously matters to performance just as much as training does. So if there is a true optimal, if, if there is something that, that works better than other alternatives, presumably – you know, the best athletes in the world in, in 2016 have found it. Uh, so that's what I went uh, looking for. So so the, the big topic right now is this kind of the low-carb, high-fat kind of diet is, is, is all the trend. Um, 
so are you finding with these elite people that's the experience yeah i i didn't find um any athletes outside of ultra running <laughs> the um which is a, a bit of an outlier but outside of ultra running i i didn't find any athlete who is on such a diet you know as like as their base diet i did find um especially in, in cycling some athletes will do a, a brief period of of low like a, a very you know in the off season typically or or pre-base season maybe a, a short phase of low carbohydrate eating and also you know selected carbohydrate restriction around certain key workouts but um of the of the five key habits that are you know identified in the subtitle of the book one of them is is uh, eating carbohydrate centered so that's that's what i found is that you for their base diet for you know the world's best endurance athletes breakfast lunch and dinner are centered on some some one or more you know high quality high carbohydrate foods the reason i think ultra running is an outlier um is that that sport just isn't as competitive as as some of the others oh, are because okay. because it's a sub-discipline within running um so it's actually um think about it like if, if you're a male marathoner and you're and you can run a 209 marathon you're going to run marathons you're not going to run ultra marathons now I, I so if you look at you know elite level a couple of weeks ago i won an ultra marathon that's weird i'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really athlete, you know? yeah yeah so i you know I, I it this is offensive for some people when i make this point but it's just it's just a cold hard reality is that ultra running is getting more and more competitive but but just wait when the money and it's getting more competitive in part because there's more money there. But when when there's real money there, the Kenyans are going to come <laughs> and their diet is 78 percent carbohydrate. And that's not going to change. And and when the Kenyans start competing in the world's biggest uh, ultra marathons, they're going to win them and they're going to win them on a high carb diet. So so your thoughts on the high carb diet then on the low, 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 low carb diet? Yeah, so you know, I think it's um, um, I think it's largely cultural in, in nature. You know, a, a few years ago, I wrote a book called Diet Cults, mm. which is it's really about the phenomenon of of peop of how, ira how how irrational people are about food and, and diet, and how the decisions we make to eat a certain way are largely about identity. Uh, you know, it's like group belonging, and even sort of like a, it's a moral compass for a lot of people. Um, you, you find a lot of the um, again. I'm just digging deeper and deeper on this topic. Well, well, no, because it's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, you write about kind of movement and you write about diet, a and I imagine when you write about movement, you probably don't get much kind of pushback. But I imagine right. when you write about diet, you because it is like I, I interviewed a guy who did the book The Gluten Lie, which was a very good book because he was basically a religious studies guy, and he was looking at how the kind of how religions build build kind of followings and he then he transferred that into what's happening in dietary kind of stuff and it was really interesting talking to him because he was saying how just the amount of kind of anger you get at yourself because you're going to put this out there and I imagine for you you probably experienced a bit of that you know the fact that you're kind of saying well you know maybe this isn't the way or, or it's more of a cultural thing I imagine you get a lot of kind of resistance to that yeah it, it's hard to navigate it you know because yeah. Uh, you know, and that's that's part of the reason I write. I guess you know I've chosen to write some of the things I have, and I've written them in the way I have, is because you know one of my roles is to help athletes perform better 
through diet. So, mm. you know, I'm trying to help them. <laughs> and, and what makes my job very difficult is that there's all these other voices out there contradicting mine. Mm. So I found that like, I, I have to devote half my energy, not just to telling athletes what to do, but to distinguishing myself from, you know, you know, from others, like establishing credibility, because mm. people are like, why should I believe you? You know, it's like, um, so that's part of, you know, what, what motivates me to just, it affects the, the, the style as much as it does the substance of, of what I write. You know, if, you, if people who read, um, you know, the, the endurance diet, they'll find that it doesn't read like a diet book. You know, it's just like, I'm sort of, I'm sort of getting out of the way and, and just, uh, just kind of, it's more of a show. Don't tell the stars of the show, um, are the athletes that I'm, you know, I, I travel around the world, you know, eating with a lot of them also just did, I have filled out surveys for me cause I couldn't, I couldn't afford unfortunately to go to every country on earth. So I collected a lot of information remotely, but you know, it's just sort of like a different approach, you know, in order to overcome that problem where, you know, people are so, the, the, their bias really, you know, and, and we all are to some degree, but you can at least try to account for your biases and overcome them in, in that way. And so, yeah, that's, that, that's part of the reason, you know, I, I I did this book and have done others in, in, in the way I have. So, you know, so you're saying that there's this kind of contrast between what we're seeing with the elite people and, and actually it's not that complicated and, and it might be really simple if we kind of simplify things. Um, but at the same time, the age grouper is, or the, the, the non-professional elite athlete is kind of always, it's a completely different thing. So why do you think that happens? Yeah, um, I think I know exactly why it happens. Um, and uh, the way I explain it in the book is that I, I give an example. Um, and the example I use is, and she's very, very typical. Uh, her name is Molly Huddle. Uh, she's America's best female uh, distance runner now. She just, she set an American record for 10,000 meters in the Olympics in Rio. Um, and um, so she grew up, as, as she told me, just sort of on a standard American diet, you know, just a lot of, you know, breakfast, breakfast cereal with sugar and white bread on sandwiches. And it was, I mean, it was okay, but like it, it left something to be desired and you know, that's normal. So she just happened to be born with rare genes that set her up to have, you know, the potential to be a great distance runner. So what happens when, you know, if you have that level of talent and I don't care what country you live in or which specific endurance discipline, you know, catches your fancy, when you start competing, you win because you're way more talented. It doesn't matter if mom's cooking leaves something to be desired nutritionally. It doesn't matter at that point. And the same thing happens all, you know, all the way through high school, usually all the way through college. And sure enough, you know, Molly Huddle, despite, and her diet got even worse in college when, you know, she, you know, like a, <laughs> like a lot of college yeah. students, you'd be having breakfast cereal for dinner. Because you're poor. <laughs> <laughs> poor and lazy. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and young. Um, so, and, and, and so this is all very typical, you know, she just is thanks to her talent and her work ethic, you know, she continues to win all the way through the end of college. Then she turns professional and she joins a team based in, in Providence, Rhode Island, and she starts getting her butt kicked for the first time in her life. And she's like, well, this, I don't like this <laughs> what's happening, you know, not just in races, but her training partners, you know, she was with a team of, of other athletes who were kicking her butt. So she did the very the natural thing is she looked around at what they were doing that she wasn't she knew she had the talent. She's like, what are they doing that I'm not doing? 
Well, it wasn't training because they all had the same coach. What she noticed was that they were eating differently than her. Um, uh, part of it, actually, in Molly's case, yes, her diet quality was low, so she wasn't eating a lot of vegetables, but she also wasn't eating enough. Um, she knows oh, okay. that like these, these little women, you know, 110 pounders were just packing away like very substantive meals. So she, she did not, what she did not do is go to a bookstore and buy a diet book and say, okay, I'm going to go on this diet. She actually made, she changed her own diet in the, the fewest possible ways in order to make it more like the diets of the people who were beating her. So it was not starting over, just throwing out everything that was familiar to her, throwing out everything she liked. It wasn't that at all. She's just like, okay, what's the least I need to do in order to make this disadvantage go away? Hmm. Um, and you know, she she went from getting her butt kicked to when she's won like 13 or 16 national championship titles now. Um, so, you know, it, it, it works. So that's how it, that's how it happens. If you, if you are in the pipeline that elite athletes come up through, mm. that's how it happens. But think about like someone who starts running as an, an adult or gets into triathlon as an adult. Um, you know, they, they don't have all that background. So what they do is they might be 20 pounds overweight. So it's very easy to come to someone like that and say, you know, well, the reason you're not a better triathlete is because you eat meat. Mm. And, 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 and how, how are they, how are they going to know that, 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 that's not true? So mm. they, they just, don't, they have a, a recreational endurance athletes have a completely different background and, and experiences and milieu, you know, they just, they're not surrounded by, um, elite athletes mm. with setting an example of, of, you know, a perfectly easy and sensible way to, to eat for performance. So it's just a, you know, we we sort of live in different worlds, the, the elites and the rest of us. And I think it really does account for why, you know, the elites, they just, they just pass it down. You know, it's just this lore for yeah. not, you know, not diet and training. It's just like, here's what works. We know it. <laughs> yeah. So I can look beside me if I'm elite and I can just kind of do what's beside me. Whereas if I'm not elite, I'm kind of looking anywhere and whatever seems most appealing, that's going to give me the quickest answer is what I'm going to jump on. Right. Yep. Yeah. What about race day, race day fueling then for those elite athletes, you know, is, have, do you go into that detail in this book? Is it, you know, what I'm going to do on race day, is it difference between the elite people in your typical age grouper? Uh, yes. So, I mean, the, the book is pretty squarely focused on everyday general diet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I do, you know, just, uh, I, I do get into, there's one chapter where I get into some, some of, some of the fine tuning, um, because what I found is that, you know, for most elite endurance athletes, it's interesting. They don't spend all day worrying about food. You know, a lot, a lot of, a, 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 well, no, no, because this is my thing right now. Because I, I eat a standard diet. I'm not, I've never done any diets. So I've, um, and I know I'm not a nutritionist. So I always think, you know, just because I do this doesn't mean it's the answer. But I always maintain a lean body weight. I never put on weight. I, I don't worry. But one of the things I have, and I, I eat healthy food and not too much. Really, it's about it. Um, but I also have a bit of crap. You know, I like a bit of chocolate, so I have some chocolate and so on. But one thing I've made a rule is never think about what I've eaten after I've eaten because I've, my, my energy is much better to go on empowering my life. And yeah. I remember when Paleo came out, I thought I'm going to try it because just because I thought, you know, and I did a week of it and I found I was thinking about what I was eating all the time. And I just thought to myself, A, I don't need to worry about this because I'm healthy, but B, what a waste of my life thinking about my food all the time. <laughs> You know, like I'd much rather be on my piano and powering my piano playing or, or focusing on how I'm going to train or focusing on the work I'm doing than 
worrying about food. And, and to me, that's one of the downfalls of this moment is that for those who are so concerned about what I should be eating, half their life's going on what I'm eating. And it's like, what a waste of your life. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've gone a little sideways from your original question, yeah. but I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm glad for it because the, I, I will say the most, when I started writing this book, I already sort of knew the answer to the question I was asking because mm -hmm. of previous experience. You know, I knew there was a there there. But the, the, the most surprising thing I did discover in, in the process of, of doing all the research, and it was a monumental you know, research effort, um, was the psychological side of it. You know, what I found was, you know, not just it's not just that there are common patterns, dietary patterns shared by athletes at this level, but there's also a common psychology, which is which is just that it's like it's just habits. You know, it's just they, they, they all like the way they eat. They're not wrestling with it. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, this is what I have for lunch and I like it. And after I eat lunch, I'm my mind is on the next workout. Whereas with the um, you know, the recreational athletes that I help individually with their diet, so much of what they're unhappy with the way they eat. And, and often it's, you know, they're looking to diet for solutions to problems that aren't really dietary in nature in the first place. But then that will that will actually attract them to some of the more extreme offerings out there. And, and that exacerbates the problem. You know, sometimes it leads straight into a full blown eating disorder. Mm. You know, not always, but often it's just like, you know, they, they sabotage their own training um, through this completely unnecessary process. And, and often I want to I, I never do. But often I want to tell the athletes my prescription for you. Don't change anything about the way you eat but spend 80% time, less time thinking about food. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I say that only half in jest because I, I've never encountered anyone who was unhappy with their diet and was able to sustain a healthy diet over a long period of time. You, you absolutely have to have both. And very often um, you'll get the most benefit from focusing on just being a happy eater first. Mm. Um, and the rest can kind of sort itself out because it's not not that complicated. So that's a major theme in the book is just this psychological element element and just kind of, um, you know, being humane with you with yourself and, and, you know, just recognizing that you it's OK uh, to in, enjoy food. In fact, you should uh, because you're not going to be eating healthy five years from now if you're miserable with your diet today. Mm. So let's go because I love the discussion. Um, but let's go back to the race day. <laughs> so, 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 so race day. What's what's the plan kind of there? What's the difference? Yeah, maybe. So, yeah. So that there's an example of where it's this. You know, the point I was just making almost gets turned on its head. Where you know, elite athletes again, their livelihood is on the line when they race. So they they typically are 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 meticulous with with you know their their race day fueling. They they look to the science. They're often guided directly by scientists or by coaches who are informed by them. Um, and then they do basically what the research says works best. Um, and, you know, in terms of like, you know, characteristic dis differences, um, you see a lot of the elite athletes really just cramming in as much fuel as they, as they can, whereas I wrote this article recently that's sort of tangentially related. It was um, it was the purpose of race day nutrition or the purpose of race nutrition because again, because there's you have these cultural silos where you know the elites are over here and, and the rest of us are over here and we they're you know we never meet in the middle. You have a lot of 
especially lately, you have a lot of the sort of the adult starters, people who come to endurance sports as adults who actually don't even get the purpose of race nutrition. The, the, the purpose is to get you to the finish line faster. But a lot of them think it's like to to be healthy. It's like, no, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. not healthy. It gets you to the finish line faster. There's a there's a time for healthy or more and more. I see like the purpose of race nutrition is to prevent stomach discomfort. No, it's not. I don't care how uncomfortable my stomach is if I PR, you, you know what yeah. I mean? So you get weird stuff going on where people will like take in less carbs or take in things other than carbs, you know, in order to like make their tummy happy. And the elites are like, hey, whatever it takes, you know, I don't care if I have to drink my own blood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If it's legal, you know what I mean? So that's just, you know, that's an example of a difference where you'll see, you know, the research says, in longer races, two and a half hours and longer, uh, kind of 90 grams of carbs per hour is the ceiling. It's it's a dose response effect. So like the more you can take in, the more you can absorb mm. without severe gastrointestinal discomfort, the faster you'll get to the finish line. So you see them doing, you know, doing what the science says. And whereas a lot of, you know, recreational athletes, not so much. Mm. Um, how would you describe this book as being different to what you've done in the past? Um, well, I guess, you know, the, 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 there's a, a natural evolution, but um, the, probably the biggest difference, the one that, you know, if you pick it up and start reading it, you'll, you'll notice uh, right off the bat is there, there's sort of like uh, it's sort of like a travelogue. It, it's like Anthony Bourdain meets Matt Fitzgerald or, or you know, yeah. where it's I wanted to again, you know, as a, I, I, I it's dangerous for me to say this, but I, I do <laughs> I do consider myself a writer first and an expert second. Uh, you know, writing is the thing I cannot live without. So when I write a book, I want it to be an interesting experience to read it, not not just useful. But, you know, I, I want the five hours you devote to getting from one cover to the other to be time well spent, just mm -hmm. enjoyable in your seat on the airplane uh, or, or wherever you happen to be reading it. So I wanted to um, I, I knew I knew what I wanted to do in the book, but I made the commitment to um, to travel to places and to show people the places and tell stories about the athletes I'm with. You know, I, I had you know, I went to Kenya for two weeks and it just had you know an amazing experience, you know, you know, I don't want to give away the, the whole book, but, you know, so there's there's fun stuff in there. There's almost like a voyeuristic element where like, uh, you know, you, I'm, you see me in Spain at a, a January training camp for one of the top cycling teams in the world, just like full access, yeah, you know, to wow. their athletes, kitchens. Yeah. Um, just, you know, Even. and then so you, you you get to be there, too. And that's that that's, I guess kind of a fun different aspect uh, of this book not that you want to give away what it was like to, in the book because obviously you, you want people to buy the book but <laughs> but what is it like being in kenya like within that world because it, it's it just seems so i don't know it's, it's fascinating isn't it yeah i guess you know to, to give you one vignette the one that i was going to withhold <laughs> <laughs> got it out of here <laughs> <laughs> well it paints the picture because you know before i went there you know, I, I had never been there before, so I just I wanted to soak up the experience. I actually ran a marathon while I was wow. there, so I was doing more than one thing. But it was. But you, but you didn't win that one. No, but I was the first Mzungu, which means first white person. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, but not the first person. No, no. <laughs> um, so yeah, but it was research for me, so I couldn't come back empty-handed. So I was a little uptight before I went there, and I was contacting people I knew, you know, who um, athletes who had trained there, coaches who had been there, and said like, you know, I want to set things up. You know, I want to know 
uh, I wanted to talk to some big name athletes, you know, while I was there and, and come away with good material. And, and all of them said, oh, just go there and figure it out. I'm like, are you kidding me? And they're like, trust me. <laughs> so I went there and we made a trip up to a 10, uh, which is like, it's really the hub. It's like, I don't know, it's like Memphis or Nashville for country music, yeah. you know, for, for, for them, for like, if you, if you're an aspiring elite Kenyan runner, you go to E10 okay. to try and make it big. So I went there and we stayed at, um, a high altitude training center run by, uh, Lorna Kiplagat, a former half marathon world record holder. And, you know, I was asking people around, it's like, Hey, I want to talk to some big name athletes. And one of them said, well, Wilson Kipsang has a hotel right down the road and he's the former world record holder. Uh, in the marathon, and actually recently almost almost broke it again. He's run two oh three oh three or something wow. like that. Wow. Yeah. And so I just I just walk down the road to the hotel, walk inside, and and go to the reception desk, and just said I want to talk to to Wilson Kipsang. Uh, short time later, I was in his office. Wow. <laughs> and the guy he he would have he would have given me all day. Like I was I was interrupting him. He was busy. I could tell like he had like his manager in there and there was some they were trying to put out some kind of fire like involving the computer and getting paid for something. And yeah. but it was funny. Like I just had he served me tea. He, You know, I, I, you know, whatever I wanted to ask him, you know, he you know, so it was just stuff like that. Um, even if the book sucks, I've got that. <laughs> oh, I'm, sure, I'm sure the book doesn't suck. So so ultimately, basically, you think this is a for the person who wants to read this book is who? Um, I, it's really for, um, you know, it, it's really, uh, this sounds self-serving, but I think it's for anyone who does cardiovascular exercise, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, a question you haven't asked me that when I present this concept to people that a lot of people do ask, and perhaps it was on your list is, well, okay, you know, I understand that elite endurance athletes eat a certain way, but they're made out of space materials. Okay. Like they're not. They're, they're not even human in the way I am. So how could that possibly apply to me? And there's a very good answer to that. I mean, there's, it's a multi-part answer. One is they're not as different as you think. Um, you know, we, you know uh, geneticists have identified a lot of the genes that make elite athletes different from us. And it's not that many. And it's not the same for all of them. So we, we tend to think we tend to lump them all together. Well, there's as much diversity, genetic diversity among elite endurance athletes as there is in the rest of the world. And um, and those genes that do make them different, by and large, have nothing to do with how they digest and metabolize food. They're about things like uh, muscle fiber types and, um, you know, height and weight, you know, th things like that. But it's like basically, by and large, um, you know, what works for them does work for us. And there is a growing amount, a growing body of research that demonstrates that there's also there's nothing particularly. I mean, if you take these five habits I've identified which one would you say we should do the opposite of? You know, it's like the five are eat everything, eat quality, eat carbohydrate centered, eat enough, and eat individually. And that last one's important because yes, we are different, but we're not, it's not that all recreational athletes are one way and all elites are another. No, we're all different, you know, across the board. So we need to find, you know, the, the first four habits sort of set up the, the boundaries that we need to explore within. Mm. But then that last habit, eating individually, is where we were sort of on our own journey to, to fine tune. Mm. So you know, basically what my argument is that not only do the elites eat a certain way, which all the evidence suggests is optimal for them, but that anyone who does, engages in vigorous cardiovascular exercise is basically a part of that family and what works for them will work for us, you know, given, you know, the individuality factor. 
Mm, well, I, 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 I'm really excited to get the book. The book doesn't actually come out till late December, does it? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> the perfect Christmas gift for me. <laughs> well, it's got here, it comes out 27th. Does it come out before that? When When is it actually... Yeah, usually it's available, like, you know, publishing dates used to mean something, you yeah, know, when yeah. we, we all bought our books from bookstores, uh, now they're sort of, it's sort of a, a moving target. Usually the book is available a little bit before that date. I suppose one thing to say to people, because, you know, like, I'm sure, as you said, you know, eat carbohydrate is one of the key messages here, that, you know, those people who are kind of attached to a certain way of thinking are kind of instantly re rejecting it. And I think ultimately, we've got to go into these things with an open mind, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the, on the, you know, to dig a little bit deeper on the, the carbohydrate, um, I, you know, carbohydrate, when I deal with athletes, well, two things, one is if I were to, <laughs> if I were to identify a, a single problem that athletes come to me more often with than any other, it's having their training sabotaged by a low carbohydrate diet. Uh, okay. Um, so the, the, the people who swear by a low carb diet are very loud about it, <laughs> yeah. but for, but for every one of those, there's like 20 people who crash and burn on those diets. And, and I, I kind of have to pick up the pieces often. It just doesn't work for a lot of people. Also, I'll say that insofar as carbs don't work for a lot of people or they think they don't work, they're, they're blaming low quality carb. They're blaming all carbs for low quality carbs. Mm -hmm. So what I do with athletes is I just like, Often, if you go on a low-carb diet, you'll say, well, in, in as much as this was successful, it's because carbs are bad. Mm. But really, all the credit should go to, to removal, you stop drinking yeah. Coke and eating Hostess Ding Dongs. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, if you just if you only do high-quality carbs, you get the best of both worlds because the carbs are rocket fuel for, for endurance. And, you know, the... the uh, you know, the high quality foods, you know, again, the research is there. Good for health, good for, for performance. You know, your your fruit, your your dairy, your your whole your whole grains. Um, so that's a little more that puts a little more meat on that bone to mix metaphors. Yeah, nice. Well, well, thanks for coming on the show, Matt. And, and next time you've got a book out, we'd love to get you back on again because you're, you're doing great work and you've got a great body of work. And I imagine in two years from now, you have 50 books out. So, you know, that's how, that's how you seem to roll. Yep, I'm working my way toward it. Awesome, mate. Thanks for your time. Thank you. John, we are back. It's a low-carb, high-fat's the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> now, a recent, a recent study that I... Maybe I'll do this next week. Um, you don't want to contradict him. <laughs> not gonna, oh, no, I haven't, because I haven't heard what he said, so no, I won't. It's, it was, I, I think it's a very interesting approach, you know, what he's talking about. And it was interesting because I'm a little bit different to you when it comes to dietary stuff. And I kind of just have this kind of just eat what you want thing. So I'm not so committed to one way of thinking. So it probably would have been a different interview if you had interviewed him. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, I, th I think it was a really good interview. I think there's definitely lots of, well, I think he shared a lot of good information there. And it's definitely a book I want to read after talking to him. So I think there's some really important stuff there because there is this difference between what the elite guys are doing and, and you know why is it there is that difference so mm. anyway hit me with some music Bevan okay music My, My first try. try. We've got this new device team, 
and it's a bit silly. Got a double press. It's yeah, it's it's really great. It's obvious. Hopefully, you've noticed the sound quality, and it actually makes it pretty easy for me to do my job behind the scenes. But what it does is you you wear earphones to know when it's working, but then you have to push record again, and it, it does. It, I need to. God knows how I'm going to do yeah, maybe I do. Maybe I need to sit it there so that I can literally see. Anyway, Murray the Maholi Lamer Lapworth, he's a bit of a madman. He started doing triathlon back in 1990, John. I know this. Why? Because I've read this already. So <laughs> basically, having uh, been running lunchtimes, the Auckland domain were fat executives for weight management. He watched Iron Man New Zealand and St. Helier's in 1990. He thinks it was 1990. And he thought, that looks like fun. So he went to the pool, bought a bike, and entered the Devonport, Britannia, End of season, sprint triathlon three weeks later. 750 metre swim, felt like a marathon. Bike, well passed. And he passed lots of people on the bike and knew nothing about transition training. Run, the legs felt like jelly, knees giving away. But he must have looked like a drunk person, but he did finish it once he got off the bike and got the run done. So he finished, trained through winter, and the rest is history. And he went on to, tell me, so 23 years it took him to qualify for Kona. I think it was 2013. I'm sure it was 2013. So yeah. Went over, to, went over to Kona to celebrate his 50th at the 70.3 camp, my, my, my Kona camp. And we still have spaces for the Kona camp. You want to get yourself a nice Christmas present, come over to Kona, end of next May, awesome camp, and you get to do the 70.3. Speaking of Andrew the other day, Andrew and Kim. Yep, they're coming. Yeah, they're coming. He said because he's getting back into sport now. He's been a, you know, he's a young kid, so he's had to pull away for a couple of years. And getting back into it, did the Queenstown, I think he did the marathon or the half. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he said, yep, I'm going to the camp. I'm looking forward to it's it. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. So if you want to come, check it out on epiccamp.com. All the world, he's welcome. Come on, enjoy the fun. Holy Hammer came 2013 and uh, just went there for his 50th to have a good time. Qualified for Kona. Went back in October. Oh, that's I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So the Holy Hammer hammering it. They missed my dishwasher story, John. Oh, no. Oh, no. I have to live through this again. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to go. I'm not going to because it's, it's not. It's never the same the second time, is it? No, it's not. No, <laughs> but we're basically getting you dishwasher team. And I've got dish drawers, and I think they're great. No, <laughs> nobody else thinks they're great, but I've got a good back. So there we go. The dishwasher uh, store is gold. Yes, well done. Uh, uh, sponsor. Extreme Endurance. So recently did a study conducted by the University of Louisiana um, by Dr. David Bella. If he's a doctor, he must know his must business. Must be true. <laughs> and uh, director of the School of Kinesiology. The effects of 10 days of extreme endurance on performance, buffering capacity during exercise and post-exercise muscle damage, oxidative stress and inflammation so the results that came out they had a 26 percent decrease in lactic acid 39 percent reduction in oxidative stress six time reduction in muscle damage and soreness so if you guys are getting ready for a you know starting to build up your running base for maybe a, a spring marathon go through your winter training fantastic for looking after your legs as you're going through your running races um, we often get the, the worst cases of doms and for you guys in new zealand or australia who might be building up for a variety of summer races Get on it and uh, save yourself some pain and make sure you can you know, get back into your training a little bit quicker and also give yourself a boost on race day. So check it out, xendurance.com. Use the promo code IMTALK10 to get yourself a discount. Kiwis and Aussies, you can get it through me at uh, coachjohnnewsome.com. Good times, xendurance.com. John, questions and answers. Okay, good old Greg McDermott has ridden around Australia. Just got to give him a quick quick plug because uh, there's a bloody big effort. I can't, it's taken him... Bloody ages, he's been out there for, for months, but he's ridden around Australia and uh, he is raising money for, I think it's for 
for teens. He's very much a plant-based endurance athlete, ultraman finisher, motivational speaker. He used to be a big fatty. He said he lost 30 kgs in 2013 and uh, has gone on to do loads of endurance events. Since. I think he called uh, himself a big fatty. <laughs> well, if you've lost 30 kgs in one year, I'd say <laughs> he's looking like a lean, mean machine now. And if he's done ultraman and ridden around bloody Australia, good well, on I said, him. I could have lost it a bit away. <laughs> oh. It's an awesome achievement. So well done, Greg. And he's trying to raise 50,000. He's got 24,000, which is a bloody good effort. Mm. But if you do want to support him, go to his website. I'll put a link to it in www.iontalk.me. Okay, Jonbo. 79 days it took him to ride around Australia. How far was it? 14,800 kilometres. So let's let's do the calculator here. What is it? It's it's 79 days. He was riding some big days. I I had a quick look and one day... How far was the distance? He did uh, 14,800. He was doing sort of... The days that I looked, he was doing 200 k's. He had a tailwind. Divided by 70... 79. Okay, what do you reckon the average is? Um, 140. 190. 190. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good for that, that, that length of time. And he's raising money for the youth to get youth off the streets. What are the body's feeling? I think you get into a groove as long as you didn't get saddle sores. Because remember we talked to Iron Cowboy and we thought, oh, the running's got to be the bit that's hard. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's actually cycling. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Jombo, good article. written. And it's on Trisato's website, but it's actually not Trisato. It was written by, who is it? Who's the author, John? Um, Rafa. Raphael? Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure he's got his last name here, but just about what's happening in Kona with the drafting. Um, I read this last week and I can't actually recall a huge amount what was in there, but oh, he's got some it's pictures. A, it's in an there. analysis, really, isn't it? Yeah, and, and what it's really saying, and it's, again, I'm not beating up on Iron Man here because this is not, this is just the sport evolving. And and you will have known when I did a Kona, I was you know went on about how bad the drafting was, but it really seems like this year it's gone to a new level. And he's included a few pictures in here and a few weeks ago I sort of had my little suggestion box on on what they could do to perhaps you know improve the drafting situation in Kona because it has got to a level where not just me but a lot of other people are going you know enough's enough I'm not going back you see these pictures there's dudes riding four abreast oh well it's, uh, a, it's a massive pack and isn't it they're literally <laughs> one meter gaps between wheels uh, and and Rafa here has, has done the analysis just saying you do the maths and it's just physically impossible not to draft you have to ride at some insane speed if you're coming out say the around the hour mark just to get to the front of that group and it'll take you like 60 kilometers or something like that to get to the front so he's he's got in here that um sub 55 athletes you have um 107 of them coming out under 55 minutes and the distance required to have a 12 meter gap is 1.2 kilometers so if you're coming out in you know uh, two or three minutes, it's not going to be 1.2 kilometres, and time needed at 36 kilometres an hour, which is roughly for if you're a, a five hour, 36 kilometres an hour is a five hour bike split. It's going to take you 2.1 k's to get past your group. Of the big groups, you know, in terms of the 55 to 60 minutes, there's 269 athletes that came out in that band of time, and the distance required to have a 12 meter gap there is 3.2 kilometres. And you've got to ride 5.4 kilometres at 36 kilometres an hour. And then your biggest bunch is your 60 to 65 minutes. And you've got uh, 352 athletes coming out there. And you've got to have a gap of 4.2 kilometres. So really it's just saying, putting the maths on it, saying it's just impossible with the number of athletes in there and a mass start to, to have a fair race. And, and, and it's a great piece and it's a lot of thought and he's he's written a really good piece and in conclusion he's got this year for the first time I started asking myself the question I thought I would never ask 
do I need to race Kona again? Now, I think this guy's done Kona a lot, you know, mm. not just once or twice. Uh, is Kona a championship course or maybe there are other locations where the race would be more fair? The answer to these questions is still yes. I love Kona and I'd love to come back here again, but I think it's a, ma- a magical location. However, I would not like to come back next year and be forced to ride in a pack and be called a cheap without morals. And, and that was kind of one of the themes of the piece as well is that, you know, people, you know, you dirty cheat and all that kind of stuff, but mm. it's actually, it's unfair mm. because I'm stuck. It's mm. not that I'm cheating. There's nothing I can do. Mm. And uh, so really great piece. And so I'll put a link to that. Dub, dub, dub. I am talked to me and you can go deeper into that. Oh, Gary Fegan backed up. He listened to my Kona plan uh, and like most common and, and like most, the common mistake is seeding pro, sending pros off first. So the plan, John, a few weeks ago, John said, I've had enough. I'm going to keep on keep on keeping on on about this and so basically you're saying there needs to be a better way to start Kona and uh, and he came up with a series and there was a you know it was a you know I'm sure he put hours of work into it but there was you know some some chinks in the armour and well he's he's saying that um, you know reducing the cutoffs um Quite significantly, you know, most people in Kona are fast enough to have have quick cutoffs. You take out of that the, the older people. But what people. Do, you do? do you do? If you have cutoffs, you just pull people off the course all day. Well, most people are done and dusted, you know. Anyway, we'll go we'll carry on with Gary's suggestion. He says first wave is a seventeen-hour cutoff, um, and they'll start at seven, and then you have the, the older athletes, the over sixties, and their cutoff is sixteen forty-five, and uh, and then you just keep going down. So it's more of an age-based thing. So the oldest go first, and then the sort of fifteen-minute gaps between all the waves, and then so by the time you get to nine forty-five, there will be the thirty to thirty-five um, athletes, and they've got fourteen hours and fifteen minutes to complete it. So most of your 30 to 35 so, if they've qualified even if they haven't qualified are going to do that when I was at the finish line at that 16 hour mark it was mostly older athletes not not legacy athletes but older athletes or um, lottery athletes that were yeah. coming in is lottery still oh, there's just a lot less lottery now isn't there oh there was that thing last year wasn't there yeah. so I can't remember what's happened with the lottery yeah. if, if anybody knows what's happened with the lottery let us know uh, and then the, the pros would go uh, female pros would go at 11 o'clock and the male pros would go at 11.30 in principle, I totally get what he's trying to achieve here by having shorter cutoff times and all that sort of stuff. The main issue is, and I sent Torsten an email about this, is it's just been a nightmare passing everybody. So, yeah. And I think it'll be really dangerous as well for, for pro athletes to be coming past that number of people at the speeds that they go, not just on the bike, because you remember we've got to get into the aid stations and stuff, and if you've got a lineup of 20 age groupers in there going at... 30 kilometres an hour and you're coming through at 45, it'll just be a nightmare. Um, and then also on the run, I think a lot of people discount the dangers on the run as well because, again, if you've got people walking and you're coming into an aid station, when you get into that last 10k, you know, it's really hard to change your, your direction really quickly. So I think there's danger on the bike and the run. So I get what you're trying to achieve, but I don't think it's practical in this sense. And uh, Torsten sort of, backed it up and sort of saying the same sort of thing, saying maybe can they put it over two days. Um, and look, I, I th- I'm, I'm sticking with my guns of what I suggested is is trying to just simplify it a little bit, maybe having you know roughly four waves for the guys and roughly three waves for the girls and maybe the older one, or the, let's say the older 60s, which is not a big group of athletes, maybe going with the pros and uh, go back to that show that I did a few weeks ago. What if they did just the pro race on the Sunday? You and I, how do no, we how do we feel on Sunday? We, I mean, we don't race. No, but, but no, but, but the thing is, like, if it's a pro race, mm-hmm. the day after the race, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. If we if we just go the pro race after the race, mm. 
Well, who cares if you've done the race before? You're still going to turn up and watch it, aren't you? And you're probably going to get volunteers to for the pro race, and you can wrap up the course quicker. But that's not going to solve the problem of their still being drafting. On but them. yeah, but then you could do things like splitting the start more. Because mm. the problem with the, what, what we're looking at here is like Gary's idea is the pros go last, but then they're moving through the field all day, so it's going to be a problem. But his idea is also having like the 30 to 35s going, say, second to last, they're still going to have the same issues going yeah. through. Uh, and look, I just, for the 70.3, I'm going to be really interested to see how the 70.3 goes being over two days and what the interest level's like on day two. Um, they do it really well with Olympic distance, but then you're only out there sort of watching for a couple of hours and your all your marshals and officials aren't out Who there Who goes first, day. guys or girls? I think it's guys, but I'm not 100% sure on that. So I'll be really interested to see it. I, j- it is, I just don't think. I, I understand maybe for the pros to do that on the second day, that might work. Because the thing is, like, it would be pretty, like, one of the downfalls is everyone's life saying, I love being on the same field as a pro, mm. which you lose that. But, you know, like, if, if you'd race the day before. Oh, and I'd be, I'd be more than happy to yeah, sit down and watch. Yeah, it. totally. Mm. And, and, you know, you probably lots of people are going to hang around more, so you've got to get enough people, and you don't need that many supporters for a pro race. No. So you could put it on together. You know, you can wrap up the course a lot quicker, so road closures are less. And you could even say to pros, if you're not here by now, see you later. Mm. So you can kind of eliminate the field as you go. So, I don't know, because if you remove the pros from, then you could split the starts a little bit maybe wiser. Because yeah. the pros are the problem. If you put them behind, they're moving through the field and it's just danger waiting to happen. But it's just, yeah, something's got to be done. Mm. That, yeah. Okay, Jombo, uh, patrons? Are we doing it next week now, are we? No, we'll do some now. Let's, let's come up with these names. Let's have a pause. Give me a second. Okay. How many minutes have I got till the dishwasher's delivered? No, oh, I think about I think 10. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. We are back. And it's so late, the bloody dishwasher man's turned up. Because John's so bloody late. But I did help out the cause by not being here when you got your new internet installed. Well, no, because we've got problems with our neighbour. Oh, okay. Uh, we share a long driveway, John. Stealing your Wi-Fi out. No, 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 not that. Because when you've got a long driveway and you share it with other people, you've got to get consent to put the cables down the driveway. Oh, yeah. And I went to the first neighbour, and he's keen as. He's fibre, yes. And he'd actually tried himself and blah, blah, blah. And so the, oh, if you hear tapping in the background, it's the, the dishwasher man. And uh, so then I went to the next neighbour, and he goes, oh, what about it? I don't know if I want to mess up the driveway. And I just, I almost went to John Rent moment. Because you, what you're trying to do is you're trying to, you're trying to be nice because you need them to be on your side. Yes. I'm thinking, what do you think, you schmuck? Fibre. <laughs> so I, I said, oh, we'll have a read of this and I'll, and then I'll come around. And so, oh, you better come through, John. Better so they will through. have to pull up your driveway. Yeah, because to put it in, they've got to. So who's going to pay for your driveway? No, they do it. They, they do it and fix it. Oh. He's just, our driveway is a bit messy, as you know. Mm. And he's just been. But uh, he hasn't been difficult yet. He, he just said, oh, "I need a bit more information, so I'm just gonna. I'm not. I'm not putting anything on it, John. Okay. Don't want to. Don't want to be the neighbour who you know want to start a rivalry down our lovely driveway because we're quite friendly. I've got a story around that, but I won't. Uh, I won't go into that now. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> start another rent. Uh, so we've got some patrons, John, and you can do the first one. Matthew Overload Crean. Now oh, he. Well, there's he, a reason he's an overload, isn't there? There is, because he was one of our my first tries a few weeks ago. Matthew yep. from Melbourne, new to the endurance game, with common issues of fitting and training while working full time and trying to complete my master's degree. Raced my first seventy point three earlier this year, and he. I'm sure Matthew was a dude who entered the race like the week of the race and had yeah. was trying to do meant to do another race, couldn't get in or something like that, and just said I'll just do under a seventy point three. Uh, and now he's cranking up for Ironman New Zealand in March twenty seventeen with a couple of marathons and shorter triathlons along the way. Nice. So good luck, Matthew. So he knows how to overload his life. So we're like, he's an overload. Okay, next up we've got Phil Whitehead. Now John went on the website and he looked up and he said there's something about being shit. No, yes, so Phil Whitehead, he is uh 
the race director for the Lakesman Triathlon, which is up in the Lake District in the UK. So nice. the Lakesman.com. It is a beautiful part of the UK and uh, very little elevation on the bike and a flat run course. Nice part of the country. So check out the Lakesman.com. But he said he works <laughs> as a shit team leader in a biomass power station and also designed, uh, and then he goes on the race director. So, so I went down the line because for anyone who watched The Wire, they, they used to go, yeah, and, and I thought that was pretty funny. But then I thought, you can't call a guy shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we've gone with Phil. Big brown white head. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, or the big brown. <laughs> the big brown white head. Okay, we got I- Iona McKenzie. Now, she was my roommate when I was over in Kona. Yeah. She was, you know what I think about Iona? Mm. And I've come up with part of the name here because she's just a trooper, man. She just trains like an axe. Mm. And so I thought she's just a trooper. And then you added to it. Well, she she lives, she's um, in Calgary, but she also goes up to, I think it was Yellowknife or something like that, which is in, you're basically in the Antarctic Circle, yep. uh, and Middle she works on the mines up there, so we thought Snow Trooper. Nice, it's good work. And then lastly, Jonathan Pike. Now, when I thought Pike, I thought Gymnastics. Mm-hmm. I tried to find a gymnastic nickname, they're all girls' nicknames for some reason. And so then we've gone, we thought of the different apparatuses, the, mm-hmm. the vault and all the rest of it, and we went the rings, and so we called Jonathan the Ringer. Nice. Love your work. If you want to become a patron on the show, just go to www.iamtalk.me. It's all pretty obvious in there, John. You just go on on the new website, which mm-hmm. patronage paid for. So thank you for all the patrons yes. and, and uh, good old James the Feeler Reed yes. for the support on that one. Um, but, you know, go on there. It's all pretty obvious. And while you're there, check out the new website. You can submit content um, and you just you know, spread the word about what we're doing. Mm. John, sponsors. Athlinks.com Social networking for endurance athletes And extreme endurance Your lactic buffer And our patrons, patrons. John, what's your goss? I've got a couple of pieces of goss for you today But what's your goss? Uh, what's my goss? Um, I've got a lot more time on my hands With this uh, this with this study out of the way It's quite nice Oh, nice Got my training back on track last week Which is good Thanks to the coke and the chocolates We'll yeah, see if I can, right, yeah. see if I can back that up yeah. And this weekend is the House of Travel Triathlon Festival So ramping up for that on Sunday But it's stressful for you or old hag now? I've kind of got it under control now Just need the weather to be uh, on form Yep. The weather report today and yesterday is pretty sensational We went out there at the weekend And uh, the lake was pretty fresh, yeah. Um, but the next couple of days, really hot, so it's going to be awesome. My thing is never trust long-range forecasts mm. unless it's good for you. That's my theory. So today's Tuesday. I've got to send out the last email to the database saying, right, last chance to enter. Yep. But I don't want to do that when it's forecast for showers on Sunday. Oh, true, and bro. at the moment it is. So, mm. um, but I'm just about to check now, and I'll give... See, it's only got the five range for. Here's what you do, John. You just put a photo of a hot day in there. <laughs> no one checks. <laughs> 18 degrees... The confusing thing is it says it's going to be northwest, which normally means it's going to be really hot, but it says it's only going to be 18 degrees. But come and race anyway, it's going to be awesome. If you're in Christchurch, or if you're in South Island, or if you're in America. And if you're in New Zealand, come and do the Sea to Sky Challenge uh, on April the 2nd. We might try to do something around that maybe. I don't know if you're you're around. We'll have some sort of gathering. It's going to be an awesome race. It's going to finish off your season nicely. And even if you're in Australia, just fly straight into Christchurch, it is a a different course. Sea swim could be quite fresh. Big climb on the bike ride, amazing views if it's a nice day. Oh, it's stunning. And then one of the most stunning runs you'll ever get to do. Cameron Brown was down the other day, and he went, Dylan McNeese took him out for a run around there, and he said it was one of the nicest runs he's done anywhere in What's the world. What's he doing down here? He was just doing some promo thing. Uh, so What's he doing now? I was thinking about Cameron Brown the other day. What's he up to? Is he still racing? No, he's still racing, yeah, no. He's, uh, is he coaching? Is it uh, where he'll move towards? Yeah, yeah, he's um, still racing. He's doing Taupo 70.3. Oh, We're doing Ironman New Zealand. Like. Keep around, <laughs> Today is slag off pros, <laughs> shitty websites. 
Kim. Cambrown.com. I'm sure it must be. Brown. Okay, let's have a look. Cam Brown. Cambrown.com. Well, get to the times, people. Cameron Brown, Cameron Brown, Cameron Brown, two times you. Cameronbrown.co.nz. Well, we updated it in September the 5th, 2016. And. Marks out of 10. What's it? It's a, it's a, it's not even Cameron Brown. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a DJ, I think, or a plumber. <laughs> the benefits of using an emergency plumber. <laughs> I think maybe, it's maybe he's not going into coaching. He's going into uh, into plumbing. Yeah, there you go. go. Cameron Cameron Brown triathlete. No, no, there you go. Uh, any other goss, John? No, the goss. You've obviously got plenty of stories to tell us. Well, I went down to the okay. I'm just, I went oh, to Queenstown Marathon. Queenstown Marathon. Went down to the Queenstown Marathon, and. Uh, can't find his website. I don't think he has a website now, John. That's why you, you just go to Facebook, don't you? Yeah. Um, went down to the Queenstown Marathon. Great event. Pretty slow day. 10,000 people racing. Yeah. That has got to be New Zealand's biggest sporting event. I think it's bigger than the Auckland Marathon now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Slow time for the marathon. I know. Richard Asher got third place with a no, second, didn't he? second in 2.45. Which is saying something, isn't it? Well, it why like doesn't he get a good field? And uh, was he prize money? I think he was. And the guy who won it was his first marathon. Right. And he did 2.39. Now, it's not a fast course, but I think the record's 2.25. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's, you know, like it's not that slow. Um, the half was a good field, goodish field. But, yeah, Richard uh, Richard Swanee, let me know. Because hmm. uh, I'm interested why doesn't it attract, you know, you could have turned up and almost won it. I don't, even at Richard Usher, I think it must have been hard or so for him. He's a much better runner than me and he only went 2.45. Yeah, but is he... You know, he's not the athlete he was. Nor am I. <laughs> no, true. That's, that's what I was but okay, so for the WTC, they own this race now, so I'm going to give them some feedback. Yeah. Pretty good event, pretty well run. Mm-hmm. But their finish line is a disaster. Oh, no. It's a disaster. And I want to give them feedback. So someone you know, you listen to WTC, so listen What's to this. Dave Beach, he's top bloke. Is he? Is he? Yeah, he's, he runs a gig. Okay, Dave, well, you need to fix up your finish line. Because mm. what they have is they have a finishing, because it goes it's down downhill. into a, was that? The downhill finish. Yeah, yeah and, and which is okay. It's, it's got to be done because that's the nature of the park. So it's basically like a, a park that's got an amphitheatre, really, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. they use this ramp to come down into the park. Mm. Now, the ramp, it's too narrow. And so, so, and it has to be at first because at the top of the ramp, that's just the nature of it. But they need to make it so the ramp spreads out as soon as mm. come on, because it's just carnage. Because the ten people go early, then the halves, right. and then, and so it's just at certain points in the race, it's actually a bit dangerous. Mm. And so you need to invest in making that ramp wider, mm. and and probably more of a narrow coming off it's a bit steep mm-hmm. uh, now this year the weather was good but on a wet day it's a, it was yeah, sliding oh yeah. man it's absolutely ridiculous but but also then when they get to the bottom they had this small sign saying 10 and a half marathon go this side of marathon you never see it as you're coming down the finishing chute mm-hmm. and they need to actually make the finishing chute wider and have three lanes with a big sign 10k going this way half marathon going this way and marathon going this way because it was it, it's, it's a real mess and the unfortunate thing was the marathon, the half marathon isn't it. Like, they came in, no one even knew. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a real lack of kind of what was happening. With, no, I'm not blaming the commentator because maybe they didn't know this was happening, but there was a real lack of celebration in, in all the races. I think the marathon men's got some love, mm. but outside of that, it was kind of all over the place. So the race is great, but sharpen up on your finish mm. line area, guys. Now, outside of that, it was really good if you finished the race. Like mm. The rest of it's cool. It's just that the shoot needs to be wider. And it needs to be much, you need an overhead sign saying 10k people, half and full, because it's, when you've got 10,000 people, mm. and you get these real slow 10k's, and then people are sprinting towards, like in the half, there are two guys, I think the guy is fifth and sixth, they're sprinting towards the finish line, and there's like 20 bloody 10k's in front of them, mm. you know, and so just those types of things, so good event, 
overall. Here comes the dishwasher, Bevan. Oh, you dishwasher, John. Oh. Yeah, no drawers on that one. I tell you, <laughs> no drawers on that one. <laughs> so, John, by the other piece of gossip. So, last week, John, you came around to the house, did the show. Yeah. And uh, afterwards, you did your bike ride, you had my, yeah. my chocolate. Yeah. And John, John was in my lounge, and he was winger out. <laughs> yeah. Which I don't mind you getting your wanger out. But Joe was home and I was thinking about the whole time. So basically John's getting changed in front of me. Yeah. It's got his wanger out. Hey, we're boys, you get your wanger yeah. out sometimes. And all the time I'm thinking to myself, is this you don't realise Joe's home? <laughs> <laughs> and all the time I'm thinking Joe can walk in any second now. We've all got one. Well, half of the world's population has. I was just like, wow, that's a brave move. Because it wasn't like it was just a quick, you know, you you got your pants down <laughs> and you talked to me for 20 minutes. Oh, shit. He got a diagram out. <laughs> told me about his study. This is, this is how this works. <laughs> this is how this works. He did, it was amazing. It was, okay. I was, the whole time I'm thinking, I'm this stayed is my bike here the whole time this week, so you're safe. I was just like, wow. Yeah. I don't think my wing has been in this room. Right. <laughs> so, you, That's so you've had the virgin winger in this room. Right. Yeah, so I was shocked. I wasn't shocked it's made because, hey, we were boys. But I was just thinking, does he realise Joe could walk in any second? She's fine. She's Me and Joe are tight. Obviously. <laughs> Maybe there's something I don't when, know. When you go away on your little modelling trips. I had to walk around my winger in every part of this room <laughs> the next day just to take <laughs> my space. Sanitise it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, so there you go So oh. if you haven't dropped around to your house Be careful Because <laughs> yeah. he might get his wing around <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, well, yeah. wonder what we're going to do in Roth <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. Right <laughs> Hope you're not room with John Rightio Rightio Ayn Russ Train hard Train smart Kick her